0: Hello and welcome to the Big 12 Country
1: Podcast, where four guys in jockstrap will be covering college football and providing content and HSOs from around the Big 12.
2: All right, everybody, welcome back to the Big 12 Country Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Corey, and uh, joining me tonight in the studio, we got Colin. Hey, guys and that's it for tonight uh some of the other guys had things to do they couldn't be here uh tonight is our bedlam preview is kind of what we're calling it because we had to mix both teams in one show um i guess apologize to both fan bases if you don't like being on the same show we had some some people kind of act like they were upset about that but that's all we could do to get it in in time so
0: hey there is a fast forward button
2: yeah that's true you could just basically skip over half the show the first half or the latter half depending on what you want to (laughs) do um we're gonna start things off with oklahoma uh joining us first uh, a lot of you guys might know him as red dirt sport on uh twitter uh his name is jay lincoln say hi jay hello man we appreciate you coming on with us uh obviously this is long long overdue we've been wanting to have you on for a long time he was kind of one of our first followers kind of helped tweet us and get us out there It kind of led to a lot of Oklahoma fans following us at first, but eventually we spread out into the other world. So we appreciate that very much. Um, Real quickly, can you tell everybody where they can find you, all your projects you got going on and everything?
1: Uh, You can find me on Twitter at RedDirtSport, obviously. Uh, Also on the Rough Riders podcast. Uh, And, yeah, that'll that'll about do it. If you find those, you'll find me, and that's really all that's important. (laughs) Yep, I, and
2: I, I mean, I can tell a lot of people that follow us follow him, so they should be pretty easy to run down.
0: I, I will say for, for the OSU listeners also, it's it's worth following him even if you're not an OE fan. You know, I do, so a lot of good stuff there, and it's not all football-related, so.
2: And I only know like two people Colin would say that about, so that's kind of a lot of respect coming from Colin. <laughs> so, um we're going to get into the OU real quick, but Jay decided he wanted to talk about rankings with us real quick, and, you know, it's not something we normally have the luxury of. We don't normally have another opinion outside of our own, so it would be kind of nice to do that. So we'll run with the, the 2019 team rankings as of this week. Uh, website was last updated today at 3.51 p.m. Central Standard Time, so it should be pretty accurate. Um, you know, starting with Oklahoma at 6, we're going run these down real quick, Texas at 11, You have TCU uh, up to 27 this week. I think they were like 31 last week, if I remember right. Uh, Iowa State is 32. You have Baylor at 38. You have West Virginia at 44. Texas Tech at 42. Excuse me, I missed Texas Tech at 42. You have Oklahoma State at 47. And then you have, hang on, I got to hit Kansas State up here. They're down. They're like, I want to say like 93, but I may be wrong, so I don't want to be. Okay, 96. They're at 96 this week. And you have the Jayhawks at 140, let's see how low it goes here, 145, yep, 145. So that's the Big 12 teams as of this week. Uh, a couple of them fell. First and foremost, I'm just curious, uh, let's talk about OSU first because we, we kind of need to talk about that. Colin?
0: <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it.
2: Like I understand Oklahoma State isn't a recruiting power. They haven't been a recruiting power. We've never accused them of being a recruiting power. but Eighth in the Big 12 right now, and just no momentum. It feels like the class is just kind of stalled out.
0: Yeah, well, let's start by saying that maybe this is a good sign that the Big 12 is actually moving up. If if OSU is kind of the median, you know, if they're down trending towards eight, everybody else is trending up, so that's good. I mean... What are they? Forty seventh? Is that what you said? Forty
2: seventh, forty fifth, something like that. I, have to I mean, if back eighth in the
0: Big Twelve is forty seventh, does that isn't that kind of a good sign for the Big Twelve from from
2: past years? I'll give you that. Yeah,
0: I'll uh, give you that. As far as OSU, what I, what I looked at before, you know, all, let's see, there's uh, five teams that are sitting right around between like eighty five point six two and eighty four point five one, which is OSU. They have fifteen commits. Now, this is we've had this discussion off-air. Where OSU usually gets most of their points from is this offensive skill positions, right? Mm-hmm. So they have one quarterback right now that's a three-star. Not a great – you know, he's like an 80 I, – I don't have it right here. But then they have Grayson Boomer, who's a four-star, which is really helping out their class, top-ranked person. But eight of the 15 commits are offensive linemen or defensive linemen, which is really weird for OSU. Mm-hmm. That is really <laughs> – you know, that's holding out their class. So – they have 15 commitments right now. I have to believe that they're going to start landing some offensive skill players at some point. That's going to bring this class up. That's what usually happens. It just usually happens earlier, in my opinion. Is
2: this going to be a full class? Like, are we going to get to 23, 25? Because if so, they got a ways to go. I mean, 10 kids. I mean, again, December, 10 kids. It's not impossible.
0: But- I'd have to look at the scholarship numbers, but they're not taking 15. I mean, they're going to get some more people. I think they've missed on some of the top their top targets at some of the other skill positions. Obviously, Darwin Barlow, that was their prime running back, and they have a wide receiver, Langston Anderson, that they're they're still in on. It's looking pretty good. That he's like a high three star. So,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I mean, it. I before this class is over, I really truly expect him to finish in you know the thirty two through thirty seven range, which is typical OSU class. So
2: yeah, I mean, be I, I don't
0: think it's anything to worry about at this point. Now, if we're sitting here in October and it's looking like this, then I'm going to start getting worried.
2: Are you worried at all that it just doesn't feel like there's any? I mean, I know momentum can kind of come overnight, but. Does it worry you at all that I mean? That's kind of the you know how modern recruiting's gotten. You kind of need to be in the eyeballs of people constantly.
0: Yeah, I think they've just been waiting on on a couple of key targets, and it just hasn't worked out for them. So we'll we'll see, man. I, I know it as an OSU fan. It's frustrating.
2: Oh, I can you, imagine. you want to
0: see stuff. You see all these schools getting like two commitments and. Same day, and then nothing's happening. But
2: yeah, OSU fans do a good job of playing it off, but it has to bother them to some extent. Uh, going back up to the top, Jay, uh, on the Oklahoma class, how, you know how how close are we to wrapping this class up? How many more do you think they're going to take in this group?
1: It really depends on who they push for. Uh, there's some room there, possibly for another linebacker and another safety uh, and some peripheral uh, kids like we might go after. Uh, another h-back um or a tight end uh, that kind of tweener position mm-hmm. so really the class looks like it'll settle between 22 and 24 so it's almost close to a full class right now okay that's a, that's kind of
2: what i figured I, i'd seen some numbers this weekend that they thought it would at least get up to minimum 21 but probably more than that obviously so uh you know texas is holding it down at number two they they kind of get around the the 10, 11 mark, uh, Jay. You kind of feel like those are. It's going to finish in that order, or do you think Texas might jump Oklahoma?
1: I think Texas will probably finish behind Oklahoma this class. Um, I do believe Oklahoma is going to slide down a little bit um, from where they are nationally. Like they're six now by 24-7, mm-hmm. uh, they'll finish between six and 10, and I believe Texas will slide down kind of that same way. They'll, Texas will be a top 15 class um oklahoma will be a top 10 class we've talked about this in recent
2: uh shows jay well i say recent shows shows in the past we've done season previews and stuff like that in the past um you know tcu has been kind of a a quietly somewhat of a recruiting battle with oklahoma it's usually over some some popular four-star players and stuff like that so you know going back to Jalen rager and some of those things um do you see TCU as much of a threat this year? They're, they're down in the, the low 20s right now, but they did have a pretty good week so far getting a couple kids. So, you know, where do you, where do you think that class is going to roughly end up if you had to guess?
1: Um, yeah, TCU is kind of an interesting case uh, just for the Big 12 as a whole. Uh, you look at TCU's rise in recruiting and then you look at where Tech is now. Uh, you know, Texas has the coaching issues, obviously. Like, Tuberville and Cliff hasn't been tearing it up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, you know, TCU recruiting-wise has created a little vacuum there um, because there's so many kids in Dallas-Fort Dallas, Worth who would have been going to Tech, um, who were kind of going to Baylor at the same time when Baylor was under Rapey <laughs> it, you know. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's kind of where TCU should be is kind of in the top 25 in that end of the top 25. And that's where they'll finish with that class. Uh, 22 through like 30th is probably where they're going to finish because they're not going to get uh, a lockdown superstar kids, but they're just going to get a lot of, they're going to get a volume of like high quality three stars out of that Dallas Fort Worth and out of Louisiana uh, where they typically make their hay. So, like, they'll be, they're going to be around that top 25. Rolling on down to uh, Iowa State at 32, you know,
2: we've been really happy with what they've done. They were as high as re- – well, as recently. They were as high as 25-ish, 26-ish, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, they've kind of stalled out a little bit as of late, but they, you know, they had a really good summer and stuff. Um, do you feel like how, – how sustainable do you feel like this is for the Cyclones program? How, long, how well or how long – how much longer can they continue to recruit at this level? Is it as well as the team does on the field, basically? Or do you feel like they're out recruiting themselves and this won't last?
1: They're – out recruiting themselves a little bit at this point, um, they're going to finish. If they finish in the 40s to the 50s range, that's a fantastic class for them. It's still possible that they'll slide down even a little bit more. more. Um, it's it's kind of a combination of like there's still a lot of there, there's a grouping there, and there's a lot of kids that are considering like. uh, teams that are just like right there with them so they're gonna slide down a little bit but still like a 40 to 50 ranked class for iowa state is tremendous and they will keep improving their recruiting as long as campbell has success and sticks around which i think is the big elephant in the room there Uh is if he's actually going to stick around past december
2: yeah, they, they survived. Uh, my thing is I've been maintaining for, I don't know, all summer that I think Ohio State is going to come after him if there's a chance. Then we got the Urban Meyer news, and I was really stunned because I, you know, I thought, well, he'll be here till 2022 or so, something like that maybe, uh, with his extension because it is kind of a big buyout, especially for a school at this level, uh, to having a contract. So, you know, they dodged that bullet. They may be able to hang on to him for a little bit. We'll see. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's plenty of schools out there, but it comes down to them having the deep pockets for how soon they can get him. Um, rolling on down to Baylor at thirty eight, you know I've been I know me personally, I've been super surprised and super happy with what they've been able to do considering uh, after the art browse situation, when it hit bottom, when it hit rock bottom, whatever that was six months a year later, whatever when it finally all came out. Um, you know i I thought this program would be just trash for you know recruiting the whole nine for a while. Uh, I've been real impressed with him. What have you been what is your take so far on the job Rule's doing, especially recruiting and, and on the field with that team?
1: I, I really like what he's done. It's like that's a really in, impossible situation for him to win at any serious level last year with how the roster was just decimated with turnover and transfers and that sort of thing. Um, my issue with Rule is I don't think he's really committed to the job. You don't go interview with the Indianapolis Colts two weeks after your first season if you're really all in with this whole being a college coach in Texas thing. So my issue is, if I think if a job, a certain NFL job catches his eye, he will go all in on that full throttle. Now, until that happens, you know, they're they're recruiting pretty decently. Um, You know, they're in that late 30s range, and that's probably where Baylor should be, at least if you consider, like, where they're at in Texas, like that golden triangle of recruiting talent. Mm -hmm. Like, they should be getting decent talent. Uh, because it's, there's a lot of decent talent in that Golden Triangle, um, so they'll they'll finish. I don't know. Like I'm, I should probably read up on them a little bit more on their class size. Um, I'm assuming it's still going to be a pretty large class because they still have to like replace a bunch of players. Mm-hmm. So they could possibly push up into the early 30s, but I sort of doubt it. Yeah,
2: and it's it's definitely possible. We'll see. I think they were like, thir- were they the ones that were like thirty five last year? I can't remember. Yeah. yeah, they were Yeah, they were about thirty five last year. So we'll see how they do. Um, you know, you got Tech, West Virginia in a cluster there. You know, it, where do you think those two programs end up roughly? Just real quickly, out of Tech and West Virginia
1: they're probably right where they'll finish up. Cause I think tech's going to have a coaching change. So they'll drop down a little bit, then surge back up late to get back to where they are now. And West Virginia just, you know, it can't attract the level of talent uh, to, uh, okay. I shouldn't say that they should, they can't, attract the level of ranked talent Mm -hmm. that will impact their ratings greatly. Um, So, you know, it's all about development, and especially with Dana and the offensive skill development. So they'll finish, like, in that same range.
2: Yeah. And the other thing about West Virginia, too, is they've kind of gotten – I don't know if "addicted" is the right word, but almost addicted to JUCOs. They've really gone out and really gone after a lot of JUCOs. So it'll be interesting to stay, see if he's there long enough—say, five, six years down the road. If that was just a, you know, ploy to get him going at the time, or is that how he's going to try to sustain this program? Because they're not—they're not necessarily in the strongest recruiting ground either. Um, they need to dip into some of the ACC and, uh, you know, uh, SEC areas to really pull out some quality kids. So it'd be interesting to see um that's about it for this week uh kansas state still hasn't done anything so we're not going to get into them too much They're i think they still have like what six players or whatever it is yeah they have done nothing yet so but they do have some kids with some commits coming up so keep an eye on that i know they're looking for a tight end pretty soon and some other ones so we'll see how that goes uh colin you got anything else you want to add before we get to oklahoma
0: not on not on recruiting Now, let's go ahead
2: all right let's roll into oklahoma uh, again with us in case you forgotten or wasn't paying attention earlier we got jay with us from red dirt sport um, he's going to help us here, walk us through Oklahoma tonight, and we very much appreciate him for being on with us. Um, you know, first and foremost, we, we kind of usually try to ask a couple of program questions first. And I mean, with Oklahoma, I had to think about it a little bit. Um, you know, it's you don't have some of the the blind. You know, the, they've won the last three Big 12 titles, so you don't have some of the issues you have that are obvious with some of the other teams. But um, you know, where if you could, and I know it's it's been super hard for me because I've had to think about it a lot. It's, it's hard to put a, a tangible, like, numbers on it or anything like that. But if you could somehow describe where this program is, in your opinion, as a whole, the whole thing, every every bit of it, where it is now versus where it was when Bob left. Is it, you know, how much better, worse, in your opinion, you know, down the road, how, how much momentum do they have, all that?
1: Okay, like, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I think the issue, like, with the end of Bob's tenure – Let's uh, let's go ahead and break that up a little bit. Um, Bob kind of checked out a little bit after 2008. Mm -hmm. Uh, His hip was hurting. Um, He made some bad staff hires. And he really kind of just, for lack of a better term, melded in until that uh, Russell Athletic Bowl with Clemson. And then afterwards, he cleaned house, got rid of Josh Heupel, got rid of his O-line golf buddies and got mm-hmm. rid of one of uh, an Oklahoma legend and Jackie ship who quite frankly had been doing nothing on defensive line recruiting for a few years. So he, you know, he goes out, reinvents himself and he starts hiring, you know, these young coaches um, and, you know, he gets in, we have little re- Resolve, revolving door of defensive line coaches uh, you know Montgomery and Reynolds and then finally you know Calvin Thibodeau who's been here for going on three years now who's finally getting it his ball rolling with defensive line recruiting and then he went out and got Lincoln Riley uh, from East Carolina and Bill Biedenbeau, uh, from Texas Tech or actually from West Virginia but you know Coaching at West Virginia, but primarily he cut his teeth at Texas Tech. So he brings in these two, um, air raid guys to get back to the future a little bit. And the biggest difference where Oklahoma is now from where that Russell athletic bowl, just getting stomped by them, uh, is night and day from that point. Uh, it's so, and you fast forward to Riley taking over, and from where Bob was, I think when Bob left, I think the program was about an eight. Um, you know, it was solid, it was a winner, it respected, and then, but it didn't really have any pizzazz, mm-hmm. uh, didn't have a modern edge, and then Riley comes in, gets the job, so the social media game amps up the offense ramps up even more and you know, we got the Jordan brand and he's recruiting and he's throwing out these emojis on Twitter when we get commits and it's all about this circus feel. And so right now it's a place where I can't compare the success, but the momentum from when Bob left to Riley's tenure, like it, Bears out in the recruiting rankings over those years. The momentum's at 10 now. Uh, the thing that we have to prove is the coaching is the same level uh, as Bob's was. And if it is the same level at Bob's, Oklahoma's going to be in for a nice, you know, hopefully 10-year run. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. No, definitely. I, I think that's a good way to do it. Yeah, you, you do have to kind of look at it like that. And like I said, you you went one to ten, and that's not something I thought about. That's definitely fair. The numbers you threw at it there. Um, you know, I, I I hate to ask this question, but I just I want to hear from some other people in honesty. Um, is Mike Stoops' problem entirely players? Are they are they just a few good recruiting classes away from you think he'll be okay and be the guy? And if not, what do you think it takes for Lincoln Riley to move on?
1: Uh, the Mike Stoops question is something that's really uh, interesting in that no one really thought he was going to be back, uh, especially the boosters, that sort of thing. Um, but Riley really respects Mike. Not that it's just that you know he's Bob's brother, like they're they're pals, they're good friends, like they get along, uh, they have the same philosophical leanings for defense, and I say that with a caveat that Lincoln wants the defense to be more aggressive, and he feels that Mike's having to not be as aggressive because the players just aren't talented enough. Um, they can't make the plays if Mike calls an aggressive scheme. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's gonna, they're going to be burnt because they, you know, they're, they're not going to get to the point. They're not going to wrap up. Uh, and so it's interesting to see where that's going to come to a head. Um, I, would, I do believe if Oklahoma rolls out a five-star uh, safety commit and he absolutely looks horrible this year, we um, will be looking for a new defensive coordinator come to December. That's fair.
0: Well, and, and kind of on the same lines here, staying with the coaching staff, from the outside looking in, when, when Riley took over, the first thing that I thought of, you know, well, this is this is great for him. He's obviously coming into a ready-made situation. He has a guy that's been a Heisman finalist for two years in a row, returning all these, all these great players, no changes on the coaching staff. My question to you from the outside is, how long does he keep this whole coaching staff together, and does he ever eventually just want to change it up a little bit to make the team more of his own instead of it's like he, he came in and it's still Bob's team with him on top?
1: I do think there's there's some interesting things. I don't know how much I can say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't
2: have to divulge anything. Um, yeah.
1: I would look for kale Gundy to move on not if not this off season, next off season. He he's going to be gone pretty soon. Um, he's either going to take an offensive coordinator position on his own or he might fall into a head coaching job. Say it may be in North Texas if Cepha Trail ends up at Texas Tech, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, so he's gonna he's gonna have the ability to put his stamp on it, but it's gonna be a progressive thing. Um, it's gonna be an issue where it's not gonna be a wholesale staff changes overnight because only he's just cleaning house of Bob's guys. It's going to be guys moving on to other jobs Uh, with the caveat of maybe Ruffin McNeil uh, transitioning to a off or a off the field role Mm -hmm. and maybe Mike, you know, getting booted for sucking. But (laughs) outside of that, there's going to be a progression here over the next year, two years for some staff changes.
0: Go ahead. What's what's my buddy's name, the uh defensive back coach?
2: Oh shit, uh, Finey.
0: No, not him. No,
2: uh, if you had an ask that Kerry Cooks.
0: Yeah, okay, so so Cooks, yeah. he, here's my other question as an outsider. I see this guy and he's obviously a, an insane recruiter. He pulls in all kinds of talent at defensive back. From my perspective, they get there and they're great as freshmen and they don't do anything after that. There's no there's no further development from that, and that's, I mean, it's a limited scale. I mean, you know, I'm basing that on... It's is, fair. It's yeah, fair. I mean, that's what I see. So, what? what what's going on there?
1: It's partly um, it's partly Mike, and, and it's partly just the bitch wealth. And I say that... <laughs> that's fair. Uh, I say that because if you're just getting smoked out there, because you're not playing an aggressive scheme, and you're leaving defensive backs on islands and there's no pressure up front and they're just getting torched by people going 70 yards on them or picking up 40 and 50 yard chunks. It messes with your head, especially when you're supposed to be the super recruit um, where you've never had to deal with failure. And like most of Oklahoma's players come from these, Programs where they don't lose very often and they're the best athletes on the field. You know, it's hard for them to deal with a Big 12 level athlete who they may have never played against or very rarely against in high school. I mean, we talk about there being a lot of uh, talent in Texas. Yeah, per capita, there is a ton of talent in Texas, but you won't see Big 12 level talent. Week in, week out, in the high school ranks, you'll see it once every four or five games, maybe if you're lucky. So these kids get into these Big 12 situations where they're spread out on the islands, and you know they're just seeing ghosts out there, and that comes back to Mike and it comes back to Carrie Cooks, and it's one of those things that has to be sorted out if Oklahoma is going to take that next step
2: um one last question real quick before we move on to the team <clears throat> i wasn't going to ask you but you made me think of it um you know they brought in kind of a i'd say somewhat of an intriguing name over the summer uh and bob diaco what you know he's obviously an analyst so he's restricted but what kind of future do you feel like he has with the team or is this just a stop on his way to something else
1: he'll be the linebacker coach within the next two years think so Oh, I know so.
2: Oh, I, I mean, I kind of hope so. To be uh, I like That's the certainty I'm, here. I like the yeah. confidence. <laughs> it's nice to have. I just, I, I really hope so. I mean, I love the hire personally. I, you know, but, uh, I wait, wish he could have had him on the, team more than just as an analyst, but I love the hire.
1: wink is just stockpiling talent because they want to go for it. Um, the feeling is, you know, if we have these elite recruiters at every level, that there will be no way. That other Big 12 teams offensively can compete with it uh, if we just over talent a team. Like, if you, if we're recruiting at such a high level um, as we are offensively on defense at the moment, uh, as we are offensively at the moment, if we recruit at a similar clip uh, defensively or even like, you know, behind that just a little bit that the program will just maintain itself, um just going forward. Uh, and that that's definitely a good approach.
2: Uh, and it's nice to have that luxury. A lot of teams don't. Um kind of rolling into this team here for the twenty nineteen or twenty eighteen season, excuse me, I'm on recruiting, still twenty nineteen. <laughs> uh twenty eighteen season. Um, you know, first and foremost we finally I don't know, in my opinion, got what we all thought would happen with Kyler Murray being named the starter. Um, how much do you feel like the, I don't know noise put out there by Riley and the staff of this being a really close competition all summer? How much do you buy into that uh, really taking place? And if so, you know where does that put you on Oklahoma's quarterback situation as a whole?
1: i there's there's a uh, caveat to that. it It was a good competition because Kindle is a very. Capable quarterback Um, But my feelings Are kind of shaped by what I Hear about how the Offense has been installed So to me It's one of those things where Yeah it was a close competition But the competition was sort of tailored to Murray's skill set and Murray turned down a Major League Baseball signing bonus or a contract to go play. He got his signing bonus Um, and he has this offense that's sort of tailored to him now. Um, So I think it was mostly noise. I think it was about 80% noise and 20% Kendall is just going to be like Good quarterback, whenever he gets his chance, whether that be Oklahoma or elsewhere.
0: All right. Well, moving on to the uh, the running backs. Obviously, you return Rodney Anderson, who just had a, a hell of a second half of the season last year, and I think what he finished third in the conference in rushing. Something, something like, that. like that. Yeah. yeah.
2: After eight week, only eight weeks, basically. Yeah. But
0: anyway, so you have you have Anderson returning and Sermon, who who was great also. What can we expect behind those guys? Because I think we all know what we can expect from those two. Is Kennedy Brooks going to play? Is the uh, TJ Pledger? Anybody else going to make an impact or is it pretty much just going to be those two?
1: I think it's going to lean heavily on those two. I think at the third back, it'll be between Sutton and and Brooks for that third back. And it's one of those things where there's not going to be very many carries to go around. Because if you consider – you got Rodney, who's going to take his lion share. You have Sermon, that's going to get fed. You're going to have designed runs with Kyler. There's not a lot of you know meat on that bone left. Um, I think Sutton will get the bulk of his playing time on special teams. I think Brooks might get some play and blowouts. But I expect Pledger to likely, you know, either redshirt or get his four games of mop-up duty, Um, but I don't think it'll be anything besides uh, Anderson, Sermon, and a little bit of Sutton moving over to the
2: wide receivers um you know obviously it's been a really good job recruiting the last two seasons going for this receivers and uh you've got a really good young group coming in and you know not a lot of i would say older guys that are kind of in the way as maybe you've had in some past years um in your mind is this probably is this the most talented receiver core they've had in several years and you know how good do you think they could be
1: in my mind um they they rival that 2008 group of wide receivers, you know where you had Gresham and all of those, uh, Joaquina Glacius out there, just that group of good, talented wide receivers who could get into space and make plays. So it definitely rivals that. I'm my biggest prediction for this class and for this team. Um, is Grant Calcaterra will be better than Mark Andrews? He is as close to Jermaine Grisham as we're possibly going to get again ever, and his little flex, his flexibility, um, he's he's a big framed wide wide receiver who can line up and play a little bit of tight end. He's just a physical freak. And that's my prediction. Who's going to lead the team in in touchdown receptions. Cause I think they're going to get into the red zone and it's just going to be the grant Calcaterra show and people will, were going to be like, well, Mark Andrews was pretty good. so it's just kind of a system now, but Andrews and Calcaterra are completely different players mm-hmm. and So it'll be one of those things where the talent's there. Um, There's some issues with the slot because it's not really a set position. Uh, Keep an eye out on Drake Stoops to get some playing time there Um, because that position's really not nailed down in any sort of fashion. But it's an interesting team. With Calcutta,
2: you mentioned him. You know, Mark Andrews. I wouldn't call him at all blocking tight end by any means, but I felt like he did a decent job at times. With this team kind of looking like it could be more of a run-based team, uh, definitely. I mean, there's you know, if you you took it, you're talking about a quarterback running back combination. You may not have a better set in the entire country that can do it. Um, so I feel like they're probably going to run the ball a little more than we've seen. Um, does it worry you at all that Calcaterra isn't really a blocking tight end? Doesn't really resemble that at all. I'm not even sure how well
1: he can do it. Not particularly because of how I think the offense is going to be structured. Um, it's going to be a lot of RPOs. So that means you don't really have to worry about blocking if you're going to roll uh, Kyler out to his left and let everyone come in trying to tackle him and let Calcaterra, you know, just mosey on by his lonesome into open space. Um, so I am worried about the fullback blocking. That's that's probably my biggest concern on offense is the fullback, halfback position, uh, replacing Flowers. And that's something, like when I talk tight ends, I kind of considered Flowers a tight end because, you know, he lined up there a little bit. In that flex back halfback position, and he was such a good blocker and such a good pass catcher. Um, He's the biggest loss on the offense outside of Baker. Um, You know that, Mm -hmm. and you know that's Orlando Brown gone, Andrews gone. It goes Baker Flowers for me one and two uh, for offensive losses for this
0: team. That that was exactly where (laughs) what my next question was was. Who is going to replace Dimitri Flowers? Because i, I got to be honest, last year when we were doing our Bedlam preview the week of the game, I told Corey, I looked across the table and told him, two guys scaring me about this game, and obviously Mayfield was a given, but it was uh, Dimitri Flowers and Andrews. Those were the guys worried me the most in Bedlam, and obviously Flowers had the big touchdown against his cousin. So is there anybody on that team that can play that, that kind of hybrid role that he was so good at? Because, I mean, he was a heck of a blocker, and he, he just killed you in a passing game.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. at this time, no. Like, absolutely not. There's no one on this team that is at Flowers' level. There's some young guys who need time to develop and who will probably be good players. But at this point, anyone we put out there for his position is going to be limited. Uh, there's a Carson Meer, a kid out of Tulsa. He's a senior He's a blocker. Like, he will not be a passing threat. And if he does catch a pass, by God, more power to that kid. (laughs) Uh, But it's one of those things where unless – I don't know how they're going to account for it. Like, in in a scheme-wise, if we're running a similar scheme, I think I know how they may, but it's one of those things where they're just hoping – you know, that the Kyler's run threat is going to be so dramatic that it'll cause people to lose track of other players. Which is a good strategy, because Kyler ran like a 1,000 yards in two seconds versus West Virginia. And if he gets a crease, he will do it again. But... <laughs> There's no one who can replace flowers this is blocking. Um, and that's an issue, especially with, you know, a QB as small as Kyler
2: Well, this offensive line group, um, you know I don't think it was so well known at first But people have kind of figured out that they're returning a really quality offensive line I think people just kind of assumed Orlando Brown was gone and that was kind of the end of it But uh, I mean, it's still a really very good offensive line Um, you know in your opinion, who do you feel like is starting a center for this team in week one? And do you think it'll stay that way throughout the season?
1: I think Alvarez starts week one. I think Humphrey takes over by conference play, because I think what's going to happen is Alvarez will get some playing time at guard at some point, because the uh, and they'll both be on the field at the same time. Um, Humphrey Humphrey's issue is he doesn't have the complete understanding of the playbook as Alvarez does. So Alvarez will not miss an assignment. He knows the assignment. He knows everyone's on the offensive line's assignment. Humphrey, you know, he's a redshirt freshman. He doesn't have that down yet, but physically, he will put you on your butt um, at a level that Oklahoma hasn't had in quite a long time. It's one of those things Oklahoma fans will complain about if you like listen to us long enough, we always complain about center play. Like people like bitched up and down about <laughs> Gabe Ichard and Ty, Dar- Ty Darlington, and they bitched up and down about uh, Alvarez when he played the year before. Um, so, like a physical center is what the people want. I think they'll get it, but they ain't going to get it for the whole year.
0: All right, we'll move it over to the uh, defensive side of the of the ball let's talk a little bit about the defensive line because you you had a bunch of guys leaving from there. So, you know, you lose Okoronkwo, uh, Lampkin. Looks like Romar. So you gotta you have some turnover there. I know is it Gallimore coming back and he's coming back right? Okay, so Noverton. My biggest criticism with on defense outside of outside of the secondary for the past has been defensive tackles, man. Tell me what can we can we expect improvement out of this group? Because in, in my opinion, that's the difference between OU going to the playoff and OU continuing for a national title. Is when they start getting back to getting big time guys on the defensive line.
1: There'll be some improvement there. Um, Oklahoma's done a decent enough job with recruiting that naturally, uh, like these guys are getting in their juniors and senior years, there should be some improvement. Uh, they've brought in some coaching specialists to work with them. So it's not going to be the greatest Oklahoma defensive line ever, um, but I've had it explained to me as Oklahoma has rolled out worse recently, so I'm taking that as a net positive. <laughs> uh, so it, 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 I uh, marginal improvement, Uh, This year, and then I think recruiting starts to take over a little bit naturally next season um, with getting more talent out there. Um, As far as this year's team, for players to look out for, because everyone wants to know how they're going to replace Ogbo, I would say be on the lookout for Kenneth Mann. Uh, He's kind of the heartbeat of that defensive line, that defensive end position. Um, He's going to be a good one. Like, there's some good buzz about Kenneth Mann. Uh,
2: As far as, you know, the Neville Gallimore, you know, if you follow you recruiting, it's a name you've been watching ever since they recruited him at at Canada. All you heard was, man, this guy is an incredible athlete. You know, he just needs to put it together. Uh, You know, obviously needs to play some American football, too, and get used to that, I guess. But, uh, you know, in your opinion, for him to take that step to be what a lot of people think he can be because, you know, physically he clearly possesses it, what does he have left to do? And do you think he'll be able to do it from the no tackle position this year? Well,
1: he just – one – the big thing is he has to stay healthy uh, and he has to stay aggressive. Um, that's kind of the thing where he 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 was putting together some good games early in the season last year. I mean, it might not have struck out on paper of, like, You know, sacks or or tackles or whatever. But he was forcing some good, uh, you know, pressure early in the season and early in Big 12 play. And then he got hurt and then he came back and he was just pretty much worthless. Um, And I say that with all due respect in the world because I love the kid because he is such a good dude. Um, But for him to take the next step. You know he has to stay healthy and he has to play angry. Um, I don't know if he's capable of doing either. Uh, he may be one of those kids that you know he catches on in the NFL in a couple of years and like, well, well, where's that? Where was that at Oklahoma? But in general, I'm in wait and see mode on him and for the bulk of that defensive line outside of man. No, that, that definitely I think that's fair. Um, you
2: know, looking at the linebacking core, uh, you know we did a bold prediction show. I don't know that I got to say it on the show. I can't remember, but I ended up registering. My bold prediction was Kenneth Murray was going to be Big 12 Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year. Um, you know how close is he to putting things together? How is he ready to lead this defense? Is he the kind of linebacker they've been missing in Norman? Maybe going all the way back to Lofton.
1: It's one of those things where I think I think he was hurt. Like, like you know, like there's just like certain games that hurt you. Like if you're if you played any kind of competitive sport at all, you remember your worst game and you remember what happened in it. And you and, you know, you either kind of either repress that down or you you look at it and you get better. The fact that he came to the Big 12 Media Days and said he like you know he's watched that game 134 times, <laughs> that's good. That's kind of scary, actually. Mm-hmm. That's obsessive, and he probably needs to deal with that. But um, from Oklahoma's perspective, I like it because you know you can see that he's developed physically from the time he's walked on the campus to now. That's a guy you don't want to mess with. Like he physically, he looks like he looks jacked, and he looks like he will hurt you if he, he has bad intentions. So physically, he's there. Mentally, we're gonna have to wait until we get out of out of conference play because I don't think he'll be tested physically uh, until we start getting into the Big Twelve play. Um, you know. You know Mike Stoops has kind of had that – I don't want to say they invented
2: it because they certainly didn't, but in recent years they've kind of excelled with that outside linebacker, that rusher. Um, you know, my biggest complaint and honestly this was my biggest complaint of Mike Stoops ever that I can think of. He doesn't hide things very well in my opinion, uh, especially in terms of blitzes. You know, it was pretty obvious when they were going to get rushed from the outside and stuff like that. And over the years it's, you know, I can go back to even before they even had this position. Uh when it comes to to passing situ- passing situations anyway, I don't think he does a, the greatest job of of disguising it like you see Saban and them do. But with that position being so key in recent years, is there somebody on, on campus that you think could take that spot over? Is it Jakari Daly, somebody like that? Who do you think is going to fill in that role?
1: I think it would probably be Gums, like if I'm being honest. Um, from just uh, like his physical tools, I don't see Daly taking it. I really uh, – and I think Mark Jackson has got passed up on the depth chart by talent. So Gums, Addison Gums is who I think will be that next kind of uh, position out there that will be a pass rusher from out there. Since the, since the talent at linebacker, you know, if
2: you follow the team closely enough, clearly is better in terms of the young guys being ready to play right away. Uh, you're going to have, you know, some youth out there in places – um, do you feel like they're going to still deploy that position at the same level that they have in the past, or maybe just more once in a while because the talent around them is better? Do they not need that or are they going to have to, to make this defensive line work?
1: I think mean, that's a million dollar question and I don't have an answer for you right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um,
1: yeah. Um, it's really wait and see. Like, we just have to wait. Um, because, I like, like the biggest question marks for this team are defense. And anyone who tells you otherwise is smoking crack, especially in that front seven. Um, so we'll see. Like, that's just all I can say when it comes to that front seven. There's talent there. It should be improved. But they have to show it. Mm-hmm. I agree.
2: And, you know, it's, to me, I think, the, the, I guess kind of what I'm getting at is, If the linebacker plays good enough, maybe you don't need it as much. Um, Obviously, the defensive line has to get pressure too because that's where a lot of it comes from, but I guess we'll see. Um, You know, moving to the defensive backs, you know, at corner, you had Motley and Norwood, and uh, uh, I'm sorry, I lost his name, Jordan Parker and those guys. Um, you know, where is that going to shake out? Do you feel like they, they know right now who their corner, starting corners are going to be because that was kind of a big shakeup, really over the last two seasons. We've seen a, kind of a revolving door at that position.
1: Yeah, I think they're pretty settled on, on, on getting uh, Norwood out there and getting Brown out there at this moment. So I think those will be uh, the starting Q, uh, CBs. Um, it's I don't know, like, like, Hiles will play everywhere, um, I'm really excited for Hiles, like, I think every OU fan is excited for Hiles, Mm -hmm. um, so, like, it's one of those things where I don't want to say it's settled, because I can still see them rotating, you know, different players in, and I hate to do it, but I'm still in wait and see mode a little bit, uh, on them because i just need to see it because i know they all played really well in flashes and they played less well in spurts i'd like to see norwood like if he magically picked up an extra 10 pounds during camp that would be fantastic um mm-hmm. uh, but i don't think that's going to happen um but so it, there, there's positives and negatives for everyone out there at that position
2: you know, to be honest with you, safety probably scares me more than any other position on this team, and maybe that's just stupid on my part, but, um, you know, I have a lot of questions. Um, you know, hearing a lot about Khalil Haughton kind of has one of them locked down, and I'll be honest, that kind of scares me a little bit. I don't know. Uh, maybe people see things in him I don't, uh, but what I have seen of him has kind of worried me that, you know, they're that comfortable with him starting there. Um, you know, where is you know, where is safety in your mind on this team? Is it because I've heard they're trying to move people over to play the position. Is that where you at all? You know, does it just feel like they're grasping at straws?
1: It's a little bit of grasping at straws. I'm not going to give this defense a benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, they're rotating in a lot of different players. You know, you got i I personally think broyles is gonna get one of those starting spots at safety um that's he he's just like my guy so I think he's gonna get one of those two starting spots um, but I completely understand being you know hesitant hearing about Houghton and I completely understand being hesitant about Barnes because you know he it's just you have to see it, and we haven't seen it. We haven't seen high level, uh, you know, defensive back play in so long. We've seen it in spurts. Um, you know, Steven Parker had his moments, that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, going back to Tony Jefferson, that sort of thing. But, you know, we haven't seen really high level safety play
2: kind of wrapping up this you know kind of defense overall here um you know roughly if you look at the numbers and I kind of tend to use S&P I like that one but just kind of looking at some of the rankings and things roughly they spent half the season and and some of this is even split up by game but roughly you could almost draw a line down the middle half the season last year as a top 30 defense in the country and the other half as a bottom 30 defense in D1 um you know, I think inconsistency has been a huge part of this defense. I think, like Riley was talking about, you saw some of it in games like Ohio State, but then you see him, you know, do you know, going back even two seasons to what happened in Lubbock. Uh, you know, there just seems to be a lot of up and down. It, you know, is that again? I know talent has been kind of when you're talking about elite talent has been a big issue, but is there is it coaching? I mean, is that you know, is it Mike? What is your just your guess at that? Why where, where is this defense so up and down?
1: it all comes back to coaching originally because Mike recruited these players and so it all goes back on Mike like if you want to break it down like that, you know Mike set his defensive staff for the most part. Mike uh, approves the offers for the most part to a point not so much recently um, but in the past. So you know it goes back to Mike the buck stops on Mike, Uh, And so he recruited the players. He thought they were fit and talented enough to go and do his defense the way he felt it should be done. Um, So any improvement that comes out of better players, quote unquote, you know, the Hiles effect. uh, It's one of those things where... Like if is Mike gonna reap all the benefits from that? Is Mike suddenly going to be a great defensive coordinator if the mm-hmm. talent on on the field improves? It's, that's an interesting question people don't want to ask because, like you said, that split and that first, you know, those are split in the rankings. If Mike, you know, rolls that out for seventy percent of the games and has a similar year like across the board defensively like that Mike's probably defensive coordinator of the year a coordinator of the year like nationally uh-huh. so it's one of those things where if the talent level is is the talent level going to improve that much absolutely not but you know you have to kind of weigh where it comes from and personally I think uh, the biggest burden falls on Mike. Always. Uh, the players are put in position. Yes. And they have to make plays, but you know, like you got the ingredients together, you cook the meal. It's your fault. if the meal tastes like crap. <laughs> so well, it, it goes back to Mike.
2: No, that's definitely fair. Uh, definitely is. um, you know I was looking at special teams real quickly obviously we know cyber is going to do all the kicking duties um you know early in his career it was often talked about that that's a lot he can't handle it um you know that it affects his performance and obviously i think it was a sophomore year we saw a little bit of that in the, in the field goal game and such but uh you know do you feel like he's finally at a point where he can handle that or you still think it's too much for one guy to handle
1: they're kickers so i don't want to jinx him um <laughs> Um, he's handled it pretty well. He did fantastic last year. Um, it, it, to me personally, I would probably split it up. Um, but if he's the best on campus, you have to roll with what you got. Um, so knock on wood, I hope I don't jinx him. Um, but he should, you know, have a strong year. What about, you know,
2: return? I know obviously a kickoff, you know, I think it's going to be a factor this year, the fact that people can fair catch, and this team hasn't been great at returns in so long. Um, you know, it's, it's been a while since they've had a weapon there. Um, you know, who do you think is going to kind of get that first shot at that?
1: The special teams is one of those interesting things. Um, I think the interesting things is uh, what the impact of, you know, getting Shane Beamer on special teams uh, when it comes to maybe in an aggressive nature, I think Shane will probably be more aggressive, uh, you know, than his predecessors, especially on punt and kick returns, especially on punt returns, because we let so many punts just hit the ground. I think he'll be more aggressive, and and as far as returners goes, you can see Sutton back there on uh, kickoff returns. I can see Lamb back there. Uh, and on probably a Charleston Rambo, that sort of thing. Maybe an Ad Miller. It's just an interesting position.
2: Okay, yeah, we'll watch out for some of those names. Um, you know, looking at their schedule, where are the games you feel like where are you, or do you have any games that worry you a lot? You know, where's a couple you feel like they really got to be on their toes for?
1: Oh, going to Iowa State early in the year, um, that's not a recipe for a fun time, especially if we're struggling. Uh, If Kyler Kyler isn't what we think he is, um, he might have some issues in that environment because Iowa State doesn't get enough credit for having a raucous environment, but you Oklahoma State fans are aware of that. True that. Um, So, when things get rolling, you know, if they beat Iowa the week before, they're going to be insane for that game. So, that's a potential trap game.
0: You know that game's going to be an 11 o'clock kickoff, too. Yeah, Unless that Unless it's already helps. been released something else.
1: Mm.
2: I don't like yeah. OU at 11 o'clock. They don't ever seem like they play well at 11 o'clock.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things. Like, I, I'm wary of Iowa State early in the year. And then, you know, the early part of the schedule to me, uh, you know, we start off with FAU, which everyone's kind of like a trendy upset pick. I don't think so because FAU graduated a lot of talent and they can't really restock their offensive line like a major team can. So I just don't see that being a major test they're absolutely going to score points on us because it's a Mike Stoops defense, but I don't like, it's not to me a major issue. So like, as far as pitfalls go, uh, who am I even, what am I even doing here? Okay. Yeah. So we go straight from Ford Atlantic to chip Kelly. They don't have the uh, horses yet. It'll be a couple of years uh, before Chip Kelly gets them rolling. That Iowa State game, Army playing the triple option right after. It's interesting, but they don't have the horses. That Texas and then a um, little bit of a bye week and going to TCU and Kansas State at home, that's probably the pitfall games is after Texas. Um, the bye week helps, but that at TCU and then hosting Kansas State, those that's that's a, that's a hard turnaround, you know Texas, TCU Kansas State within a month, and closing out the season obviously, um, we have Oklahoma State, then we have the ever dangerous Kansas, and then at West Virginia, so West Virginia is probably what most would consider uh, one of the bigger games of the year, uh, depending on how they play out.
2: Uh, yeah, I do. I, I probably about three or so they're really going to have to be on their toes for maybe four. Um, you know, when it comes to the rest of them, I feel like they're just going to a- athlete people enough. And you never know. This league's crazy. But and a lot of it revolves around the play, quarterback play, and all that too that we still have to figure out. So um, do you see this team being uh, in a position to get back to the playoff this year?
1: My feeling is Oklahoma is going to drop a conference game, and I don't feel very bullish on the Big 12 at all, like being a top-tier conference this year. Uh, so I think it's going to be one of those years where Oklahoma may win the league, may drop a game in conference play, but I think like the whole, the sum of the parts isn't going to get enough respect that I think they won't make the playoff and have to settle for a new year's six game
0: okay that's
1: definitely
2: fair i think it's possible very possible um anything else you got for jay
0: no that's i was going to ask for his prediction so that's fine
2: okay uh well thanks for joining us jay and it's been a long time coming we thank for thank you so much for having us or for you joining us we appreciate that uh anytime you want to come back on with us let us know and uh if you could tell everybody again where they can find all your work and stuff <sighs>
1: You can find my work in Montana, but you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at RedDirtSport, and you'll find everything else from there. All right? All right. Thanks All right. for joining right. us,
2: man. We appreciate it. Yeah.
1: No problem. See ya. All right, guys. Now we're going to roll over
2: into the Oklahoma State portion of the show. Again, we're doing the Bedlam Series, so we appreciate you being patient with us and having both these on the same show. Uh, joining us now is Stephen Mandeville from Pistols Firing. Say hi, Stephen. you go. Uh, What all do you do for them, and where all can people find you at, follow you at, where they can see your work and all that at?
3: Yeah, yeah, so uh, I write for Pistols Firing. Uh, I've had a couple different jobs over the years, but uh, currently I do the bullets, the daily bullets that you read in the mornings, so I kind of scour the news for anything interesting and try to give it an orange flavor, (laughs) and uh, I have a Twitter handle, it's uh, Mandeville but uh yeah you may as well just follow pistols guys that's where all the interesting stuff is
2: all right that's fair um kind of rolling into this program real quickly uh, a few things you know one obviously it hasn't been a huge deal i would say although i feel like oklahoma state kind of peaked out at times and they haven't quite hit you know they haven't quite taken the next step yet so maybe it, it is affecting them to some degree but uh, you know, and this has nothing to do with the summer and the stupid comments by the AD and all that. This is just honest opinion, honest opinion of right now today. The pro, the the recruiting for this program, you know, has kind of been stagnant, especially this season here lately. There just hasn't been much of anything going on. But you know, it just never has quite. They've never had like all of a sudden like a top, you know, 15 class or 20 class or something like that. Um, do you think this program is capable of that? Because you know, talent I would say is obviously a factor, but what else do they need besides the recruiting to take the next step?
3: Well, this is one that I've actually written about a few times over the years. Uh, I've, I've, and probably earlier this summer, I kind of took a look around. And if you look at the landscape of college football, a, uh, a team in the middle of nowhere, which is essentially what Oklahoma is, is ne- has never really surfaced to pop off the map with no program tradition or history and just really start raking in top 15 classes. And uh, I remember I heard Mike Gundy make a quote. Uh, gosh, probably two or three years ago now, I've tried to figure out where I heard it, but he said, you know, if I win every year like I'm doing for the next 10 years or however long I'm here, and another guy comes in behind me and he starts winning like I did, that guy will start pulling in four stars. Now, you think about, you know, that's, you could say that's just a good excuse for not really hustling out there on the recruiting trail, but I think there's a little bit to it because outside of maybe Nebraska, you haven't really seen a team just pop out of the middle of nowhere and just start hauling in guys, and, and so I, I almost give him a free pass a little bit, to just do whatever he's got to do to win eight to ten games every year, and I, I don't get too wrapped up in it, but I don't, I don't see it happening anytime soon though either.
2: Well, you know, I've, I've kind of always maintained, at least in recent years, I feel like they're a big defensive hire away from maybe taking that next step, not only just for coaching on the field, but I feel like that would give him a burst in recruiting. Um, what is it that keeps them from, I guess, for lack of a better term, opening the wallet, uh, you know, loosening the purse strings and going after another coach, you know, a big-name coach, a big defensive line coach, something like that?
3: Gosh, that's a good question. Uh, I think I think the null hire for this year is different. Uh, previously and historically, we've kind of found other guys that were kind of an up-and-comer and taking a chance on them or, you know, a retread like a Bill Young late in their career, maybe come home and try to bring some fundamentals. Whereas Knowles is a guy who's kind of a peak in his career, you know, in his early 50s, I believe. And So I think he is kind of unique and, and grand, you know. How excited can you be about hiring a Duke employee that wasn't a basketball coach? I don't know, but, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, he's uh, he is really unique for Oklahoma State, and I – I don't really know what caused them to not spend money i think the money's not there uh for on a level uh, you you listen to our pistols firing podcast mike holder came on made kind of caused a fuss with some comments but one of his comments he made was to say you know don't look at recruiting budgets look at the overall athletic department budgets. and you look at schools like kansas and ou and texas and a lot of those guys are ahead of oklahoma state and so i think if they could ever get their
2: revenue up, I think that's when that could maybe happen, but not until then. Okay, that's definitely pro- – I mean, that's fair. Um, the last question I have on him, do you feel like Gundy has kind of hit his peak with his program to the point that where as we go forward, if it doesn't stay the same, it's only going to wear off. The luster may wear off. You know, the program may fade a little bit. Has he done everything you feel like he can do at Oklahoma State? Oh,
3: gosh, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I think – I think – him and who he is and what he is, I think every once every two to three years, he's going to take a puncher's chance at competing for a Big 12 championship. Uh, and if he can find a quarterback, he can do it for two or three years in a row and then have a reloading year like this year probably will be. Uh, I don't think I don't think he's really maxed out, but I think he is what he is, and I think us expecting him to – I've always kind of held that OSU pays him $5 million a year not to – not necessarily to win 12 games a year, but not to ever lose more than, or not to win less than eight games a year. I think, I think that's just kind of what he is. And I think for the history of the program, that's, that's and shoulders above where we've been. And as, as a fan, I'm pretty tickled to have that.
0: All right. Well, you, you mentioned quarterbacks there, Stephen. So obviously OSU lost Mason Rudolph, who's arguably the one of the best quarterbacks in program history. Outside of quarterbacks from prior to 1990, I think Coach Kondi said that. <laughs> but, okay, so going into this season, you have a, a fifth-year walk-on senior, who's Taylor, Taylor Cornelius, who's on scholarship now. He's been anointed the starter. What what can OSU fans realistically expect from this guy? And I mean, he, obviously he's not going to be a Mason Rudolph, but I think there's some high expectations for the program, and you obviously you have Spencer Sanders, the, the highly recruited quarterback, on the bench and the, the Hawaii transfer, Drew Brown. So what can we expect out of this position this year? And do you think Cornelius is really going to be the, the quarterback for the full season?
3: Oh, gosh. Uh, I've I thought about this for a little bit, and so a couple of things i thought about is uh, he just reminds me of that uh, Texas Tech quarterback from last year, uh, Nick you know where he had been around for a while. He was in Iowa, and they came down there, but – you know, fifth-year senior kind of guy. He's not going to screw up, game manager. Uh, And I don't expect uh, Cornelius, and he's shown a little bit of speed, but I don't expect him to, you know, make any huge plays on the ground. Well, he has done that a couple of times, surprisingly. He's got some deceptive speed. I I expect him to be a game manager, but uh, a comment that Gundy made today that kind of got my blood pumping was, or heart pumping was that he said that uh, Cornelius can make all the throws. And I think that's, in the Oklahoma State offense, if you remember back to when Mason Rudolph was competing with J.W. Walsh, I was just crying, just get somebody who can throw the ball down the field, somebody who can hit hit guys outside the numbers, and open up the offense, because whenever you don't have a guy who can do that, it is just painful with how teams crowd the box, and it's just tough. So I think uh, I think Cornelius can do that a little bit, and if he can do that 75% of what Rudolph could, which you know I don't know if that's a realistic expectation or not, then... I think the offense can really, really, really move, and I think he's got, a really, he's got a good shot at keeping the job for the year, if that's the case.
1: Um,
2: today, I think it was today, I, that's when I saw the article, <clears throat> it was said that Drew Brown, the, the Y transfer, would be open to, to uh, registering uh, for a year. Um, I don't know if you saw that. I believe I got the right quarterback there. It was That's Drew right. Brown. Okay. Um, yeah. the, I know we don't know a whole lot about him because he's not been here long. But does that leave you to does that lead you to believe that he pretty much knows Spencer Sanders is better than him, or that he's not going to play this year? I mean, if he thought he was the legit backup, do you really think he would transfer? I mean, what you know, what, what do you feel about what do you read into that decision by him?
3: Oh, well, when you look at who Drew Brown was. Was talking to and he committed Oklahoma State. You know he was talking to LSU. He was talking to Baylor. He was talking with uh, I forgot. Those were the two big schools that jumped out to me. And I thought, why would you, you know, what? Why would what would cause a guy to go go to Oklahoma State over those schools? Well, Baylor's got a starter that's secure. LSU, I mean, if they could ever find a quarterback, they'd get somewhere. But I, I you know, that's a Lions Den. You know, who knows if he could survive Mountain West SEC. So I think he was promised a shot at winning the starting job. And I really think when he came in late, that kind of hampered him. And I think he probably has to understand that on a level. Uh, you know, I was I was thinking about that today. You know, if, if Cornelius wins the job this year, brown red shirts, uh, then he starts next year, assuming that's not going to upset Spencer Sanders. You could, I mean, that's the way Baylor used to be so good well, for other reasons. But they had a fifth-year senior every year. It seemed like it was like there was hmm. another guy who had been waiting four years for a shot, and another guy. And I kind of like that that senior maturity that it could lead to. But man, Curger Brown, why did you leave a starting job to go sit on the bench? I don't know, but I I think I mean it sounds like he'd be okay with it, you know. But
0: yeah. Okay, well, well, moving on, on to the uh, running backs. Obviously, you have Justice Hill returning. He led the Big 12 in rushing last year. J.D. King was his backup, obviously well-established and a good inside-the-tackle running runner. After those guys, you have L.D. Brown, who was kind of the, uh, I guess you would say, the third down back, played a little bit in cleanup duty last year and everything. On the depth chart that was released today, you had Justice Hill, obviously, number one, J.D. King, number two. Then you had L.D. Brown or chuba hubbard Uh, osu fans and me me in particular have been dying to see chuba hubbard on the field it almost sounds like he's not going to be as evolved as we thought he would be coming into this season how do you think they're going to use him and you know how how are they going to play those two guys ld brown and chuba hubbard
3: well uh i'm not i'm not the x's and o's savant like some of the guys that i write with but the things that i've heard is a lot of split back type formations and uh so you think about you know you've got justice hill i've I've heard rumors that they're looking at splitting him out a little bit in camp putting him in the slot motioning him back i think uh jd king's your obvious goal line guy certain short guy i think you can see ld brown chuba hubbard kind of you look you have him in the slot motion him in i think you're going to see some horizontal action with those guys uh i I think they're too dynamic that you have to get them on the field. I think Eldy Brown. They're going to let him do some kick returns, and hopefully the same with Chuba Hubbard too. I think that's the way those guys are going to get most of their touches.
2: Who do you think? You know, as far as wide receivers go, um, you know, we know who they lost. Obviously, a couple of big ones. But do you feel like this group? You know, a lot of people talked about that group going into the beginning of the year. Like, you know, it was obviously the best wide receiver core in the Big Twelve, maybe in the country. Um, how much did they fall off, or how how much talent is still here that people may not realize they have? Oof.
3: Well, it's it's uh it's it's hard to you know as a fan to separate myself, but uh, you get excited about your guys. But I do think they've got some serious talent there in the two deeps, and it's kind of I, this 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 could be considered a hot take, but I was I was thinking about the Big Twelve, the position groups that you just know are going to be good. When you think about a Kansas basketball point guard, when you think about the University of Oklahoma running back. And I would almost say I was trying to think through when the last time the Cowboys weren't three deep at wide receiver with guys who weren't capable of being a feature guy. And, and I definitely feel like that's, I think you had to go back to DeWan Woods. That's where I went back to around that time. Mm-hmm. But uh, they've got, I mean, Tyron Johnson, which you saw him do in the Bedlam game. Now, granted, OU probably wasn't game planning for Tyron Johnson. They were game planning for James Washington. So I think, you know, when he's the focus guy, that'll be interesting. Uh, the slot guys are going to be uber productive. You know that's going to happen. But seeing guys like L.C. Greenwood and and uh, Tylen Wallace and Tyron Johnson, if those guys are able to get some get some space on the outside, take the top off, those guys are just going to have a heyday in the middle, and it could be a lot of fun.
2: Is there any young names we need to look for? You know, I know you guys got a big recruit uh, recently at receiver and, you know, and stuff like that. Is there a name we need to be watching for? You know, maybe to come out of this group, maybe the tight end, something like that?
3: Oh, you know, I mean, if you look at their 2D, most everybody's a redshirt sophomore below. So, I mean, technically, those guys are a lot of those guys are young, but a guy who didn't get a lot of run last year that was pretty spotty is Tylen Wallace. I mean, he was the top recruit in the class last year. Uh, he's made some diving catches. You're just thinking, who in the world catches that? And I think uh, Tylen over Tracen. Tracen's his twin brother. You're going to really want to watch for Tylen. Mm hmm. Okay.
0: Okay. On the uh, depth chart that came out today, something another thing that I thought was interesting: you have two different sections of cowboy backs. You know, you have the the top one. You have Britton Abbott and Sione Fenufuku, and then uh, Logan Carter or Jelani Woods. What do you make of that? Is that more just They have you know the the top one is more your blocking fullback type cowboy back, and the bottom one is the receiving, or well, what's going on with that position?
3: Oh, I. To be honest with you, I don't know what a Logan Carter is. I have never heard <laughs> that name in my life. But that, that tells me uh, there's there's been rumors that Jake Ross, the Juco trans, transfer from NEO, there's been rumors that he was injured, and I think that tells me everything I need to know about that. But, yeah, Abbott and Funafuaki are, are definitely the blocking fullbacks, and Jelani Woods, the converted quarterback, is uh, uh, he's a, he's going to be a pass catcher. So, again, I don't know what a Logan Carter is, but that's definitely the split there. I don't know how they're going to use it. The base personnel is 11, you know, and so I I assume they're going to use the tight end more. But with the fullbacks having much more experience and with the run game being such a, you you know, you look at the whole offense, the interior of the line, the running backs, that's where the strength is. So you'd have to think the fullbacks are going to see the ball a lot or see the field a lot more.
0: Uh, I think we just need to take a moment to appreciate two people on this podcast. Just to pronounce Sione's name right, so you know, take that in. There, there was no stutters, no. You know, I apologize for butchering this name. That, that's pretty impressive. how yeah, no, under you, Corey. Normally,
2: you trash some names, so yeah. Uh, as far as the offensive line goes, and and I don't mean this in a mean way. It's just an honest, uh, you know, honest way of looking at it. This offensive line hasn't scared anybody in quite some time um you know where where are they at is this, is this group about what it has been in your mind uh is there something you feel like they excel at like because obviously they're going to, need to be great at run blocking uh and stuff like you know you you would lead to believe that they're probably going to run the ball quite a bit more than they have in recent years um you know is that something you feel like they're good at doing is is there something that scares you about this offensive line
3: uh i you know uh I would say the run blocking, you can see, is definitely almost a strength of the team. People would say, you know, you're only returning two starters last year. Well, really, Marcus Keys, Larry Williams, Johnny Wilson, those guys were all figures and played a ton last year. Now, I think you're going to see the interior of the line progress, and you're going to see the run, the run game step up and be better. You're losing two bookend tackles that were big bodies that are experienced, and I think you could see the pass blocking around the edges decrease a little bit. So uh, I, don't know, I don't think it's going to terrify anybody, but I I would not want to be you know crossways with Marcus Keys. If you just look back at a couple years ago, the media guide picture, it's just he's just a scary dude. So. <laughs> I think the run blocking will be great. I think it'll get better. I think the pass blocking on the edges will get a little bit worse. I don't know what – there's nothing at all I know to expect from Arlington Hambright. That guy's been around. He was the only recruit brought in by Greg Atkins in his left class. And so it's just – it's a big hole you just kind of hope it turns out
2: do you feel like you the team's deep enough at running back to be a a run heavy team in your honest opinion i mean honestly you know we saw some games where justice had 30 carries like in the bedlam game and stuff and he seemed to kind of excel in that that situation and kind of answer some of those doubts people have had of him going back to a freshman can he carry a team like that but you know, if if you know, probably in a reasonable world, you probably want him down. You know, not so many carries. So, do you feel like they're deep enough at back to, to do that if they're more of a run heavy team?
3: Oh, I, well, I mean, I think in the past the offense was throw the ball long and try to open everything up. The run game, the underneath passing, and I don't think. And and Gundy today, as presser said, you know, hey, we're going to throw the ball long. It may not be pretty, but we're going to keep doing it. Well, I I don't think that's necessarily. I think that's more of a smokescreen. I think we're going to have to open up the passing game with a run, and uh, you know, and he did. He made some comments earlier this off season that said, you know, we're going to give the ball to Justice Hill maybe 15 times a game, just to try to keep him fresh for the NFL. I don't know whose leg he's trying to pull. If He's yeah. got an All American running back. That's, <laughs> not, that's not reality, you no, know. And no. so so I do I do think they're they're deeper. Which the story there is we had a. Uh, guy's the offensive coordinator at Oregon now, Marcus Arroyo. He came in and just blessed us with a running back class or two of just horses. And I don't know if we've signed anybody since then. I don't know if we signed anybody before that. But, man, it is just a stable that we haven't seen in Stillwater. You know, from 2014 when we just had Tyree Kill, a receiver, playing running back to now, it it is a different world.
0: Well, it's funny you mentioned it. I was actually going to go to kind of go back to twenty fourteen because you've you've seen this season with the the questions at quarterback, a lot of comparisons back to that twenty fourteen team, which was really outside the end of the season was almost a bit of a disaster. So, in your opinion, with with Waltz returning, with the offensive line and and the quarterback situation, tell Oklahoma State fans why this offense is going to be different than that offense in twenty
3: fourteen. Oh yeah. Well, I think uh, the offensive line, there was no strength. I mean, you look at that right guard and center spot, it was just a turnstile. It, it looked like, I mean, it was just, you know, subway turnstiles were blocking more people than these guys were. It was terrible. It was just, uh, it was just you were just O-laying every guy through to the quarterback and poor Dax Yarman. So, I, you know, the quarterback <laughs> depth chart was nothing then. The offensive line was nothing then. They had some good receivers, but you could never get them all to them. So I think, I think the offensive line play and the depth of it. And so Gundy's, I mean, none of those guys outside of Keys is probably going to be even close to an all big goal selection. But we've got eight guys who can play, whereas then you may have had three. So I think you look at the overall depth and the talent level of the line, the running backs, the running back situation is, you know, head and shoulders above it. Des Rollins was a good player, but he wasn't. He, I don't know that he sees the field with these four guys in front of them and so I think the offensive line play and the running backs are the main difference in this offense
2: and that one um it, you know considering that you know let's let's just assume Cornelius isn't any you know I don't want to say anywhere near Rudolph but not quite Rudolph obviously uh and they do have to focus more on the run is there a quarterback you know and I, this is kind of a broad question so try to nail it down the best you can but Um, is there a quarterback in this group you feel like they could put a special package for like they have in the past to do some of that to pick up some of that offense is there you know could you see them maybe doing a wildcat type situation with some of them you know we haven't really seen a whole lot and I could be way off base here but at least in memory we haven't seen a whole lot of ingenuity in this offense in my opinion outside of the cowboy back and the diamond formation inceptions going back to what 2012 2011 whatever that was so um, it doesn't feel like a whole lot's changed in this offense much since then could we see you know, some, do you feel like they have the athletes in those positions to maybe do some more creativity type stuff?
3: Well, I mean, gosh, who wouldn't like to see a, a belldozer package for Jelani Wood? I mean, <laughs> wouldn't that be a lot of fun? Yeah, but, it's a big uh, dude. I mean, my goodness, six seven two fifty. I mean, I don't know what that was about. I mean, I, I, I hoped his signing was just retribution for the gashing of all those games we played against Blake Bell. That was just <laughs> miserable. But uh, I I would say, I would add, I, I think you're right. I think there's, you know, having some sort of goal line package, maybe, assuming, you know, this isn't the strength of the, strength of the offense and getting to the goal line is more so the issue than, than uh, being able to punch in when you get there. I look back at that 2015 season when Gundy just smoked and mirrored his way. I mean, that offensive line was almost as bad as 2014 was, and the J.W. Walsh running package may have been his best coaching move I've seen, I don't know, since hiring Dana Holderson because that that team had no business winning 10 games, and uh, kind of having packages for him, that could be good. I don't think he's going to want to run Taylor Cornelius as much. I think you'd see him used a little bit more than Rudolph would. Uh, how you use this redshirt rule is going to be interesting because I think Drew Brown, he, the way he carries himself, and this pains me as an OSU fan to say, but he looks like maybe a, a homeless man's Baker Mayfield. The way he tries to run an offense. <laughs> he, he's, he's got a moxie to him. He, he likes to. I mean, it's like you thought you tackled me. No, you didn't. You know, he's, he's fun to watch like that. And I think him and Spencer Sanders are both a lot more athletic. And depending on how you use those four redshirt games, I think you could see those guys getting some packages. The fourth quarterback that I, I don't know what's gonna happen if he sees the field, Keandre Woodtee. I mean he uh he throws the ball in the dirt, but he's an athlete, you know, so if you know, maybe he if you see him in there that's definitely where that's going or that's at least where we'd hope. But uh yeah.
0: Okay, well moving over to the defensive side of the ball, obviously they, they bring in Jim Mills this year to to run the defense, revamp it, change it all up. So we're going to a four two five here. What, what in your opinion, what what can we really expect out of this defense this season? I mean, they're returning they're returning some guys. Obviously, lose a lot in the secondary. Have pretty good experience on the defensive line and some some great players in my opinion at linebacker. I know this is going to be a a quote unquote much more aggressive defense than we're used to. Obviously, not playing fifteen yards off the ball on the defensive backs. What do you really expect? And what what in your opinion is, is a success for this defense this season?
3: Yeah, I, I, I think the the fundamental aims of this defense will be different. I mean, it's not like we, you know, brought in Dax Hill and four four-star safeties to come in and convert the defense. <laughs> so I think it's not going to be, you know, too terribly different, but I think the same guys will be doing a lot of different things. And, and uh, I, there's a guy right with Adam Lunt who has a podcast called Tape Doesn't Lie. And he's just been breaking down this four, two, five. And so everything I know about, I pretty much ripped from him and, It sounds like, you know, our old defense, the point of it was we're going to bleed you out, hope you force turnovers, we're going to make you make a mistake, you're going to walk down the field four yards at a time, anywhere from eight to 20 yards of play, you're going to move down the field. this offense says we're going to give you nothing outside of four and 50 yards. We're going to give you four yards and less and 50 yards and more. So I think you're going to see a few more quick strikes than you're used to. I think you're going to see less turnovers. But you know, I don't think you're going to see as many of those long, gashing drives. I mean, I, I still have nightmares about that Kansas State game last year where
0: <laughs> you're not like Mason
3: Mason Rudolph went in the locker room at some points, I think. I mean, it just didn't matter. I mean, he went on the field the whole day. I think you're going to see this this defense get guys get offenses off the field more. I think you're going to see that happen. But I think you're going to see a few more long bombs uh, when our corners are left on island. So I think those are kind of the differences. You know you you hope that and something I have heard that i've I've heard tossed around is that you know Osu defensive coordinators, I think I heard Colin say this in a previous week, in their first year, they do a lot better. and you kind of saw that with uh, Iowa State defense last year. They run a whole new formation, a whole new thing with that tight front. Nobody knows what in the heck to do with it for five, six weeks. I think Osu's defense will have a little bit of that to it for a while. I think people will start to figure out some things they can do, but I do think it'll be a a change, and it's a whole philosophical change. We're all going to think the world's falling because, you know, Iowa State threw two long passes and what's going on here. But I think our defense is going to be fresher is is kind of something I've heard too, which is nice.
0: So so you're saying that Oklahoma State fans can start expecting to no longer see the uh, 14-yard middle running back screen for the first down. (laughs)
3: Continuously, <laughs> the, the worst to me was the twelve yard out on third and seven. You know that we left uncovered. You know, just like, oh yeah, just give it to him. Fine. It,
2: since they switched to the four two five, you know Oklahoma State hasn't. I feel like they've brought in some really solid talent and defensive back over the last, you know, what seven eight years or so, decade, whatever under Gundy. Um, and you know, defensive line, they've had their moments. To me, it's always been kind of about linebacker for them um, in terms of next level talent. Like, I, you know, did, have they had a, or a linebacker drafted under Gundy? I can't think of one if they have. Um, and not that, you know, I, I think Ori Lemon was the last, you know, maybe good one you guys had that you really stood out. I can't remember. I'm, having, I'm mixing up the years here. But um, do you feel like the four-two-five kind of favors the way the to that, you know, standard, the fact that they don't need as many quality linebackers on the field at once? Does that kind of help them, you feel like?
3: Well, gosh, I mean, if if you look at their last few recruiting classes, you'd think they've been gearing up for this change for a while. I mean, they're signing five, six guys in the defensive backfield each time. So, I mean, to me, it feels like they've been kind of gearing up for this. I don't know how Glenn Spencer felt about that. You know, I've got to have three linebackers out here. What are we doing with all these defensive backs? But uh, I I do think as, as Sean Lewis was probably the last one that was worth writing all about, Josh Furman, the Michigan transfer, got drafted we kind of found a couple of those star players or safety linebacker hybrids, but man, uh, Justin Phillips is, uh, he, he, is a freshman. He came in in that 2014 bedlam game in Norman and he just played his heart out Ten tackles ever since then. He's just, he's been a consistent player. And I, I do think this the four two front does favor what you're saying. Cause I think, uh, you know, God only made so many six to 230 pound Deshaun whites that are out there just murdering people. You know, and I think it's easier to find a 6-foot, 180-pound defensive back that's got the athleticism to play at this level. So I think, you know, for a school like Oklahoma State that's a little bit down the pecking order for talent, I think that does really help. Um, I think uh, I, I'm I'm super excited to watch Calvin Bundage play linebacker and just never have to step off the field this year. That'll be fun.
0: Right, well, going to the defensive backs here. So, you know, oh, she loses Trey Flowers, they lose – um Ramon Richards, you have two. You, know, you have a red shirt freshman and a true freshman playing cornerback last year. Little to no depth behind those guys. What 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 can we expect out of the secondary this year? I know they they've brought in a grad transfer from Texas A and M that basically had to take like twenty six hours of classes to even qualify to transfer. You have uh, I mean what what kind of depth can we really expect out of this group, or is it just going to be the same guys out there just running the entire season again?
3: Yeah, I, I think it's kind of a, you, you hope you hope for the best. Uh, you hope the young guys figure it out fast. Uh, Ramon Richards last year was your, you, you hated him and you loved him. So I think, you know, just your heart, your blood pressure will slow down because he's not out there intercepting or getting ran by one of the two. So, I mean, that'll be a life quality improvement. Kenneth Edison Magruder has been a great athlete. Uh, he played the star position for us. He started safety, moved down to the star linebacker, bump back. He's kind of your only stalwart back there in the middle of the field. Uh, Tabo Moniiki, I want to say. Uh, he's he showed some he showed some flashes. You hope that continues to surface. Uh, I mean, like you're saying though, I mean we had a guy finish with 25 hours, and he's second on the depth chart right now. So I mean he's they definitely needed some help at the for depth is really the big thing, but. Malcolm Rodriguez. There's a trend where everybody loves to sign the quarterback, the multi-sport player to play defensive back, and they've got a few of those guys back there. So I hope that intelligence kind of translates. But you know, we don't have we don't have you know Brendan Radley Hines back there or anything. So it is it is definitely a question mark.
2: Do you feel like Do you feel like this defense has the ability to start getting a pass rush? I mean, I know we're looking at a lot of the same personnel in the front seven, but or six now, if you want to go that way. Um, you know, is there is there some players you feel like it improved much, or is there a new name in there we need to watch for? Can they generate the pass us that they haven't quite been good at in recent years?
3: Well, I think I think part of that they've had some really consistent defensive linemen. They've had a defensive lineman. I think that I think every year since uh, Joe Bob Clements has been there, a defensive lineman has gotten drafted. So they've they've had consistency. They've had good players. Uh, but I think the defensive scheme was more what hamstrung that. Uh, I Again, that tape doesn't lie. Podcast led showed a number that uh, roughly uh, Glenn Spencer rushed on a third of downs uh, last year. Uh, you know, you've got Jim Knowles; he's blitzing 56% of the time. So you know, you're thinking from once every three plays to every other play, you're going to be blitzing from from some direction, some angle. So I think with the consistency of defensive line play, a combination of Calvin Bundage, Kenneth S. and Magruder being up more in enforcer safety, I do think you're going to see an up-and-pass rush this year. And I think you're going to have to really hope that hits hits well because leaving really Roe Williams and, and A.J. Green out there on an island won't be ideal. So it's kind of pass-rush or bust, and I think you will see a better pass-rush this year, and, and that's going to be primarily philosophically.
2: With, with that number you just gave, the 56% uh, rush does it you know and and you got to feel like you know the team is smart and the staff is smart and he's going to hear it all but do you is there a fear at all that maybe he may not understand what he's getting into in the Big 12 and if they don't quite have the athletes to do that but go out and try to do it anyway that that could get really bad for them
3: yeah, I think I think it's uh, you know if you're Jim Knowles and you're coming in there, you know what's your best hope is that somebody like Sheldon Williams from Midwest City comes to play football for you. You're gonna have any kind of athlete, so I, I he's stepping up in the pe- in the pecking order for athletes, but he is stepping up, and, and I, I would say outside of you know your top shelf of the ACC, he hasn't seen a lot like this. Now, tempo possession, uh, the the research that I, I've been hearing shows that he'll face the same number of plays. But I think stylistically there's going to be an adjustment period, and I think that's what you're seeing. I think that's where the variable is. You know, does he catch those guys off guard and get the better of them, or does he not, and they go right by him? That's, that's kind of what terrifies me a little bit. But, whew, I, uh, you know, for a Duke defensive coordinator coming to the Big 12, there will be a growing pain, I'm, I think. But it's, it's for me as an OSU fan, it's worth it. You know, with a, with a tempo offense that needs the reps, needs the, needs the rhythm, uh, I would rather those guys just get off the field sometimes if they're not going to have a chance to stop them.
2: Yeah, and I, and I get tired. You know, I get tired of, of uh, you know, watching a lot of these defense play back, lay back, and play safe. And you know, it. I understand in some terms that you got to do what you got to do with what you have. But uh, I know it gets frustrating. There's times I wish you know, as an Oklahoma fan, I wish you know, I miss Venable's because Venable's was wasn't scared to come after anybody. So you know, whereas Mike just and we might blitz and if we are going to blitz we're going to announce it 15 different ways from sunday before we blitz so you know i i understand that it would be nice to have you know a quote unquote attacking defense again so hopefully it works out well for you guys um you know special teams is there what are some of the names we need to be looking out there who's going to be doing some of the kicking duties and all that
3: well, there's, there's, it's, it's been out there that our Zach Steiner, our Heisman kicker, Heisman candidate kicker, gone dark, gone, is back for another year to try to make another run at it. He have, has had surgery. He'll be back in a few weeks, but a uh, senior Matt Hockett will be in his place. Uh, Matt Amendola will will be back for kick the kicker. Uh, he started out terribly, hit a stride late in the season. We're happy about having him back. Uh, that's, that's kind of a rite of passage for our kickers. They look terrible initially first six games a year. And then from there on, they sound pretty solid. Uh, the things I'm really excited about is seeing the kicker returners. If we can get Chuba Hubbard back there running, running back some kicks, I'll be excited about that. LD Brown. Uh, I, I tell you what, I would love to see Gundy Lowe's mullet out and play Tyron Johnson, at punt returner. I think that would be a blast. You know, you got three receivers at a spot Play him back there and try to get some moves. Uh, of course, you guys mentioned about the rule changes and how that'll probably neutralize kickoffs for, on some level, which kind of stinks. But I think I think they should be a fairly consistent group with veteran kicker and punter. But oh, yeah, that's probably all.
0: Don't don't you think that that rule change like this just makes Gundy go? There is no way we're returning kickoffs. <laughs> I know I, I know everybody wants to have the big return and everything, but this is like the Gundy rule to me. This says. Okay, guys, just catch the ball. You know, if you're, doesn't matter if you're in the end zone anymore. Just fair catch, and we we'll get the ball to 25. So, to me, that it just screams we're going to get the. You know, she's starting at the 25 every time they touch the ball in a kickoff.
3: I'm I'm not sure there's a more conservative adult male with a mullet than Mike Gundy. If there's a <laughs> slight breeze, he he may not even put anybody back there. I don't know what he'll do. He may he may you know I, who knows what the guy'll do. But I I completely agree. He's uh, nationally Oklahoma State is perceived as a throw it around, have a great time. I mean, the more Dundee can run it, the happier he is. The more he can fair catch it, the happier he is. I mean, you you look at the end of Bedlam a couple years ago, and Barry Sanders runs back a kick to midfield before halftime, and he's like he wanted to trip him or something. Don't don't put me in a <laughs> position where I have to call play before halftime. It's just I love the guy, but I just I wish he wouldn't. He would he would coach a little bit more like his haircut.
0: Boy, that was a uh, a rough podcast to come on after that game. I'll, I'll tell you no. that much. Which oh. one? That was the the, the rain the rain game oh, the yeah. bedlam in the rain.
2: Yeah, I was in the stands oh. watching that game.
0: Yeah, that that was not good. So so Stephen, I, I think you've probably by now seen our preseason Big Twelve rankings, and I think we pegged OSU to finish seventh. Uh, I think if I'm right, it, it, knowing what okay. we know, knowing what we know today. Where where would you put this team finishing out in the Big 12?
3: Ooh, oh, gosh. I mean, I'm, you're never going to burn me on Texas. Until Texas has a quarterback that starts for a whole season and, and they win nine games, will I ever give them the benefit of the doubt? I mean, if you sat back in Vegas and just took the money on them, I mean, you'd be in great shape. I mean, every year you think they're back, they're not. So I'm not going to have to give them that benefit of the doubt. TCU, in my mind, has earned that respect, even with the loss of the defensive tackle. They're just such a a fundamentally sound now. Oklahoma State, I would say, is a premium in the middle tier of the Big 12, just with their their offense, whereas TCU has the premium on the defenses. And I I think that just this year without Oklahoma State having, you know, a world-class offense, I would say TCU ahead of them uh west virginia i i I think i'd like to pick them ahead of osu but until i mean i just i think osu could beat them because i think they'll be able to run on so i don't i don't know about that Uh, will greer is going to be so much fun to watch this year i think i would have to just pick osu fourth or fifth with somebody like west virginia and k-state potentially ahead of them
2: okay no that's definitely fair i mean i think that's that's uh, probably on the high end of where a lot of people have them, but it's definitely in the range. I I think I put them at fifth in my personal rankings if I remember right. So I definitely agree. Um, when it comes to this team, and, and um, as our listeners know, I have the worst memory when it you know of anybody on this planet. But I'm trying to remember. I think it was two seasons ago. OSU was you know kind of coming out as a young team, and they looked for a really good start on somewhat of a soft schedule, and it really benefited them to do that and that team kind of develop. Um, a lot of people are thinking this team can do 6 and 0, 7 and 0 out the gate with the schedule and everything. You know, how realistic is that for this team, you feel like? Ooh,
3: I I think you can either you can either get excited about that concept or you cannot based off how Boise State goes. Cuz I think uh, that'll be the big tell for this team is, you know, it's a veteran quarterback, does he just see through all the blitzes and throw the ball down the field on us and our fledgling offense hasn't gotten off the ground yet. I don't think you're going to learn anything from Missouri State or South Alabama. Uh, if, if they're able to beat Boise by 7 or 10, you can start to get excited about that 7-0 number. Because I think, uh, you know, you the culture of OSU, I mean, for years as an OSU fan, you would watch OU. And just every game, you watched them, you thought, finally, they're going to lose. No, in the, in the culture, it was a winning culture. It was just a belief that they're going to win this game, that this is going to turn out. And, and over the years, you've kind of seen that develop with, with Oklahoma State, but just not against Oklahoma, but with the mid-tier teams. You see it with Kansas State a lot of years. You see it with West Virginia a lot of years. You see it with Texas Tech for the last decade. Just mid-tier teams, just somehow Oklahoma State believes they'll win. You can look back at that. 2015 Kansas State, you're just thinking, there's no or 2016 Kansas State, there's no way Oklahoma State's going to win this game. Two or three James Washington bombs, they pull it out. And so I think culturally, Oklahoma State is able to, kind of push themselves to the middle to towards the top end of that middle tier of the league. And it's just, it's just something I've started to bank on. I don't enjoy seasons, but I've started to trust that they will start to perform like that. It's the wildest thing.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I have two more quick questions for you and then I'll, I'll turn it over to Corey to wrap it up. But you know, the, this off season, OSU puts in the the giant jumbotron in the, uh, in the end zone. Outside of how big it is, do you feel like with where it's located in the field, inside the stadium, do you see that impacting any any games? I know personally, if it's me, I'm putting like spirals and moving yellow lines and everything when the kickers are lining up to kick and stuff to just start seizures on people running towards the end zone if it's if it's the opposing team. So, how do you how do you see that impacting opposing teams?
3: Well. If you've ever watched an Oklahoma City Thunder game, there's a, there's a fat guy and a the, macho Libre costume. With a
2: brick on his head or something like that. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm.
3: It's just, I think it's going to be that on steroids for a little bit. I think, uh, well, Oklahoma State, I've said this, I'm not, I think this is true. Oklahoma State's the only stadium I know of in college football that runs east and west. So you think about a day game where you're facing towards the West, you know, eating, eating the sun. Then the other way you've got a jumbotron. I don't, I mean, that's gotta be something for teams. Mm -hmm. And I think at night I'm, I'm looking forward to the season opener to see if it means anything. And it could be something we're blown out of proportion here, but I think, I think the jumbotron is more for that West end zone fans because when you're in that West end zone, you can't see Jack on the other end of the field. I think that's more to accommodate them, but how it'll impact teams, I mean, if you had to put a point on it, maybe a point and a half a game. You know, if a kicker misses once every three field goals because he gets busy, I mean, that's worth it. <laughs> I think that's, that's kind of the value of it.
0: All right, my my final question is, how, how big does OSU win bettaling this year?
3: <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, his, historically, the years that OSU is, is even even able to sniff anything, in Norman, is when they come in there and they, they've had a rough year, OU thinking, let's just move on, let's just mercy kill these guys. So I think if you see them lose Boise, you see them lose a couple more games early in the season, they walk in there with a little bit of a limp, the pass protection's breaking down. I do think that would lend towards more of the historic, you know, maybe this will be a game, but uh, you know, I don't, I I mean, my gosh, has there ever been, you know, if we, if we had Spencer Sanders playing, I would have a blast watching him and Kyler Murray duel with the run run pass options back and forth. That'd be a blast. No,
0: that, they they get four of, games.
3: Oh, oh, gosh, that'd be fun. And, and and here's and my thought on the quarterback thing is if if you get the game, you know, eight or nine, and Taylor Cornelius is kind of limping into the gates, why not just rip it off Sanders and let him run in the rest of the way, kind of like a Rudolph in 2014? That's what I'd assume do. But at, at this point, I give OU Bedlam by 10 at this point, and that may be a homer pick too.
2: Boo. That um, kind of rolls into that. kind of rolls into my question s- to some degree, um, and to me, I've seen it with Oklahoma more than any uh, OSU game. And and you know, contrary to popular belief, I watch just about every OSU game, so I don't just watch Bethlehem. But um, you know, you see, there's there's been a lot of criticism of Gundy and the way he's coached in those games, especially. And I think you can point to some more high-pressure games too, where that's kind of been the case, where he hasn't quite gone for it. It's been more of a play to lose,ment or play not to lose mentality. Um, considering he's done that when he's had what seems to be really credible horses, all-American type guys a quarterback and such. Um, how much does that worry you going forward, especially right now? With that, you know, and we all think Spencer Sanders could be the guy one day, but at least as we know right now, not that kind of quarterback in the group right now. You know, does it worry you at all? How he may coach in some of those games, like Bedlam, and some of the bigger games.
3: Uh, well, well I, I, you, that's, that's an astute observation for a non-OSU fan, but it's, it's definitely true. I mean, you can definitely see it when he plays Texas. Every time we played Ole Miss for the last since Eli Manning or you know Eli Manning was there, anytime Mike Gundy is severely out-talented in his perspective, he's going to play super conservative. I mean, we're going to win on a block punt in Texas at Texas. It's that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and I think it's I think it's just I uh, i i I don't love it, but I don't it it doesn't worry me because we don't play those teams all that often, you know in our league you know we've got pretty comfortable talent to everybody except for you in Texas, I would say, across the board in the trenches, defensive backs uh it doesn't worry me that much it it, it would be nice to see him start to hand the ball hand it over to uh, Mike Urage some in the play calling, and I think that's when it can be fun. I mentioned that Kansas State game. Uh he was uh such the, the story on the story on one of Washington's line bombs was he's you know, Bursich is marking at Gundy on the headset, please just let me throw it deep, let me throw it deep and Gundy says it's not gonna be there. Get it get over it, it's not gonna be there. Bill Snyder's got it covered and then finally he let him do it and he threw it, he threw it down the field, Washington goes seventy and Gundy just flips the headset off. I'm hoping that over time he will start to trust his coordinators more to make calls like that and to, and take some shots. Uh I, I don't think he'll – I don't think he's going to change his stripes at this point, but I do hope he would be willing to be a little more riskier with his offensive play call.
2: Uh, last question I got for you. I mean, we could do this all night, but I, I, one, one last more here – one last question to go here. Um, the, you know, fans, especially Oklahoma fans who were close to the situation, felt like Bob Stoops was wrapping it up. You know, we saw that happening. I don't think anybody saw it that summer then, but you know, it, there was people who paid attention knew it was coming. His his tenure was coming to an end. What does that look like in your opinion for Gundy? Where do you? What signs do you look for to see? Like, you know, is there certain guys he brings in to, as assistants that he can carry up, or do you do you feel like the way Gun you know Gundy's been wild at times? Do you feel like it's just a drop of a hat and he's gone? What are we What are we looking for to kind of feel like he's had enough?
3: Ooh. I, I think he's, he's so he's set up to be put out to pasture in Stillwater right now. He's on a five-year revolving deal. Every year it adds another year, unless he opts out. I think he's going to be on a five-year deal when he retires. That's just optimal for recruiting. So I don't think you can look at his contract situation. Uh, I don't think he sees. I don't think he sees age sixty on the sideline. I don't think he does. He's in his early fifties now. I don't think he's going to make it to sixty. That's that. I feel pretty confident in that. He's going to have enough to for the rest of his life in payne county he'll own half of it by the time he's done and i i think you see that uh, i don't
0: the
3: the athletic director being secure um i think he probably had a hand at least in a small level you know yeah i like that guy bring him in i'd like to work with him for the rest of my career i think he had that with chad Weiberg. it's it's hard to tell i mean i don't he, he's he's enjoying. What he's doing. You watch him his press conference day. He's got a he's got an adopted dog. That's not a stressed out man. I mean, he's just hanging out, having a good time. 2014. If he starts to look like 2014 again, that's probably your best tell. If he's clamming up, not responding to press conferences, I think you know when you start seeing stuff like that, I think that's the problem. But if he's just hanging out, I think he's I think he's good to go for another five six years at least.
2: With Pickens' health, do you feel like the fact that he hasn't been around so much lately—that's been a good thing for Gundy? Ooh,
3: yeah, that's interesting. I mean, those—you know—between Holder, Pickens, and Gundy, I mean, you can't—you can't separate who's done more for the university. They've all done fantastic things. Uh, they're all successful men. Uh, I think there's probably egos at play there. If I had to take a wild guess. Uh, I think you know the less there's more you know the less bulls there are in the cage, the better off you are. That's probably true okay um you ain't got nothing anything else for him?
0: yeah, I do actually we need we need your your projection for the season. How do you see the cowboys oh, finishing yeah. up this year?
3: Oof. Oof. i I think I mean I've heard anything from seven to uh former OSU coach Pat Jones came out of limb and gave him ten after seeing practice this week. I think uh I think that's a little rosy but uh I think 8-9 is reasonable and I'll give I'll give coach, head coach Pat Jones the tip of the cap and go 9-9 nine, nine and 3. I think you're in which I would be tickled pink with in a reloading year. Uh, I think you're going to lose OU, you're going to lose probably lose in in Fort Worth and then you're going to lose one of West Virginia and Texas. Uh when I'm praying on West Virginia Texas, I think Texas or K-State, you're going to lose one of those two as well. So
2: Nine and three. Is – uh uh is uh, um, I forgot. Oh, Texas. Is that in Stillwater this year?
0: Yes. Okay. It is, yeah. So is West Virginia.
3: OSU okay. gets to rotate. So we get OU, OUTC, Baylor at home some years, and then we get West Virginia, Texas, and Tech at home
2: yeah. the no, other
3: years.
0: Pretty
2: no. balanced considering the modern league.
0: I will yeah, throw out –
3: spoiled
0: there Sorry I will throw out One one fun staff For OSU fans That I saw Earlier this year With Tech Coming to Stillwater The last time That Tech Beat OSU In Stillwater Spencer Sanders Was one years old We'll, we'll leave it at that
3: Wow <laughs> it's, it's the dumbest thing I grew up watching Those Mike Leach Mike Gundy duels In Stillwater And they were a blast Yep And, and Kingsbury Has just not been able To get over the hump With them I don't know what it is
2: uh, He's been terrible Against the state of Oklahoma Period um Ooh. they don't he didn't Ooh. i think he's like oh and 10 wouldn't shock against something along those lines i'm trying to remember how many years he's been at tech now he's 0 and something against the state of oklahoma i can't remember exactly what it is is. Zero and eight maybe something like that
0: well, i think the last time tech beat you was when uh george bush was still president i think it was
2: 2008
0: yeah it was pre-obama
2: yeah well, So man. yeah it's been well, a while
0: we we're the first year of Obama's presidency, something like that.
2: Well, Stephen, thank you for joining us, man. We really appreciate this. You did an awesome job. We appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, anytime you want to come on, just let us know. And uh, if you could, please uh, once again share with everybody where they can find your work and follow you on Twitter and such.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can read my stuff uh, six mornings a week at pistolsfiringblog.com. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter, SR Mandeville. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for having me, guys. I had a blast. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Thank you.
2: We'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. All right. Thank you. All right. uh, Once again, that was Stephen Mandeville. Thank you for joining us. Uh, If you've been with us the whole show, thank you very much. We appreciate it. You're a soldier.
0: Shame on you. Those people who fast-forwarded through either segment. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, we appreciate it very much, though, for you guys listening. And even if you did split up the show, we won't be too mad. So we understand. There's just some people that can't stomach the other one regardless. Uh, we don't ask everyone to do what we do, so it's not easy. Um, just any final thoughts you have on either one of those? I'll also thank you to Jay for joining us from Red Dirt Sport. We appreciate that as well.
0: Definitely. I, I mean, what really stood out to me was when Jay – Jay said that the second hardest guy to replace for Oklahoma outside of Baker Mayfield was Demetri Flowers. Yeah. That was what I – coming into this show, that's what – one of my points that I wanted to make was that guy was just a freak, versatile athlete that, you know, it really set up a lot of Oklahoma's success on offense.
2: The thing that – if uh, if there's one positive I feel like – and I don't know if it's a positive but maybe not a negative – Oklahoma feels better at wide receiver than they've been in a while. So maybe that. maybe you don't need his threat in the passing game that you have in recent years because Oklahoma's been very mediocre outside of maybe one good receiver in recent years. So um, maybe that, that – but, again, I just don't – you just couldn't account for the guy. So no. it's, it's, I don't see how it's a bonus in any situation not to have that anymore um so yeah definitely and and like he said trust me there's not anybody on campus right now that replaces him i don't think at all ever in their career i know he talked about some of them being young i just don't think the guy's here right now i don't think there's a guy in norman that does it
0: well that's the kind of guy he's the kind of guy that is going to have a very long successful nfl career in my opinion yeah (laughs) whichever team we
2: we thought that with trey millard too and again he, he had some injuries um I don't even know if he's still in the NFL. I know at one point he was still with the 49ers. I don't know where he's at now. I'd have to look. But, you know, that Millard wasn't quite – i don't think versatile as versatile as flowers was though lard was a good ball carrier he could catch it if you absolutely need him to but um, flowers just has this this crazy ability to find space and know when to go and you know what no one to do that scramble drill and things like that and again his run he carried it, the ball for him i don't know how many times against iowa state when Mixon and yeah. and p ryan he ran were for over 100 yards and, yeah and the first time he'd ever carried the ball at ou ever and he goes off ridiculously against them, uh, you know he's a great pass blocker, a great run block. I mean, he cleaned out know how many clocks of linebackers in three or four years. So I mean, I just it, you just got it can't account for everything yeah it's a that massive loss yeah it's it's big, uh, and and what kills me is nobody's really talking about it a whole lot. It's like you don't even people who talk now if you get to strictly an Oklahoma podcast or something you'll hear about it. But from a national standpoint, I just don't think people are talking about it near enough. People are focusing a lot on Baker Mayfield, and that's a big lot. I mean, yeah, huge, but. I don't. I just. I don't know how you do it. You have to find a way to replace that offense too, and nobody's talking about it. So we'll see. Um, you know, it didn't make me feel any better that he felt as bad about the safeties as I did. Um, I again that and again in college, you know, to some degree, maybe it's not as big a deal. Obviously, you're not going to have an Ed Reed uh, back there, but you know, I, I it worries me. I mean, it's it's by far I I we O U can get by with the defensive line it's got. I think the the youth at linebacker, the talent there, if it's not great this year, will be great next year. So I'm not so much concerned about that. Corner, I think, will we'll sort itself out. But safety, it, I'll be honest, it's, it, it worries me. Um, moving on to OSU, I, you know, I mostly what I thought – I mean, you know, pretty much about what I expected on all of it. I don't know what stood out to you.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm close to the subject, so <laughs> – Everything was kind of how I expected it to go. I, I will say one thing that concerns me for, for Oklahoma State this this year is, you know, earlier today it was announced that Patrick McCoffman tore his ACL. Mm-hmm. That was a guy that was supposed to be a big red zone target, kind of along the Marcel Aitman line. So that means L.C. Greenwood's going to have to step up. And, you know, a couple of other things as far as the depth chart was concerned, you had uh, Shane Richards listed as a starting right guard that shocked me because that was larry williams position and he's mm-hmm. been the starter there starting the season the last two years he's listed as the backup at left guard which made me kind of wonder, you know like what's going on with there is he not really fully healthy is he still struggling to get caught back up to where he was pre-injury mm-hmm. how's that situation play out um like you mentioned arlington hambright starting at left tackle on offense you know I, I don't know what he's shown in practice and i didn't get to see him in spring game this year so i don't know how he's doing maybe he's advanced a lot since he came on campus but to me, that's a concern. I thought maybe Dylan Galloway would step up and take that position, and he didn't. So, I mean, it could be a good thing. Maybe he's maybe he's earned it and he's playing well, and we'll see how that goes. But it's – you know, the offensive line is definitely a concern, and depth in the secondary is going to be key for Oklahoma State this year.
2: I was going to ask that. And I'm not sure how well it came across on the podcast, but doesn't it feel – I don't know, it feels to me like the question's – I feel like you know what you have in the front six or so, depending on what formation you guys are in. Doesn't it feel like the the question pretty much lies in the secondary with this team on yeah. defense?
0: Yeah, the uh, the front six, front seven, whatever you want to call it, uh, there's experience galore there, at least in the starting – or and really with defensive line, it's, you know, two or three deep along the entire defensive line. Uh, linebacker, not quite as deep. Secondary, I mean, you had two corners that really played the entire season last year, basically the, all the games, and you – like he's talking about, you bring in a grad transfer that I think Gundy said today he's been in five practices and he's listed in the 2D. What's that tell you about cornerback? Yeah. You have safeties, um, two of the starters, one is a true sophomore, one's a redshirt freshman.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. That I mean, that tells you, so I mean, secondary is going to be a fun ride, especially with the change of this more aggressive defense, they're playing a lot more press coverage, so. You're going to have guys out on islands, and it's going to be interesting. It'll be fun to see. I mean, as an Oklahoma State fan, personally, I'm excited. I hated seeing the the cornerbacks giving up 10-yard cushions when, you know, it's third and seven like he was talking about.
2: Yep. And, you know, I, I would think it would lend itself to more of a pass rush from OSU, too, because you are taking away so much of that underneath stuff by doing that. So, yeah. um, you know, how quickly do people start getting them to bite and then it's over? But, you know, I – you would think it's going to buy them at least a couple of seconds. Nobody quite runs it the way they did, but that Baylor offense under Bryles was so good at playing that seven yards and in on the boundary plays, Mm -hmm. and you would be taking a lot of those away. And granted, we are going to have a lot of young quarterbacks, so maybe we do kind of see a lot of that this year. But, um, you know, nobody really runs it quite like they did. So it'll be nice to see them take away a lot of that and force people to go over the top with it. You know, and it it depends. The other thing you got to worry about, too, is if you are going to play that much pressure the run game because if the guy gets through that first level or so as a running back, or Rodney Anderson or somebody like that breaks through that first level, it, it could be gone because yeah. there may not be anybody back there to t- to stop them. So. Yeah.
0: one 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 last thing on the defense that I think is going to be a, a huge plus for Oklahoma State this year is that they're going to be able to turn Calvin Bundy's loose. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you heard talk last year that he was kind of out of out of place in any type of coverage, didn't really understand what was going on. Too much and was kind of lost at times and just did what he thought he should do. <laughs> yeah. Made his own plays. He's an athlete. Yeah, he's I mean, an athlete out there making plays, so I think if you can get him involved and in, in putting some pressure on the quarterback, that's definitely I mean, the guy, obviously, you saw it in Bedlam last year. I think he had like three sacks and five plays at one point. So, mm-hmm. he can get to the quarterback. He just needs to be turned loose. So, I think we'll see that this year and, and maybe, you know, maybe he leads the team in sacks. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and OSU needs to force their will in that aspect, too. They need to force people not to just be able to line up and run right at them because that mm-hmm. does take away your Calvin bundages and, and some of your secondary coverages you know, because if they can feel like they can just line up and, you know, run a guard out in the next level and clean house, then there ain't nothing you can do really at that point. So they do need to kind of force their hand a little more at that. So we'll see how that goes. Um, you know, obviously pressure, we think they'll be better. Is there anywhere else you feel like that with just a change in defensive coordinator, they could be better? Is it turnovers? Is it, you know, anything else you're looking for there?
0: <laughs> the the main thing that sticks out to me is that we might actually start getting some stops on third down. <laughs> right? yeah, that's, that, that's that's pretty sad, but I, I'm i ready to see that. I mean, it as an Oklahoma State, you know, lifelong Oklahoma State fan, I can't remember a time where it felt like we were actually successful on third down. It was more of please throw an interception here or, you know, mm-hmm. um, yep. Oh, he overthrew him or it wasn't, Oh, we made a play on the ball. It's they messed up. somehow.
2: <laughs> it's the same way in Norman. I, can't, I mean, I, I don't know how many times I prayed for the other team to screw up cause I didn't think we had a chance in hell to stop them. Yep. So, you know, every time a quarterback missed something and threw it out of bounds, I prayed, just thank you God. Cause they could have killed us there. Uh, so yeah, definitely. Um, you know, as as far as where these two teams end up, I I'll put it this way: Oklahoma State, I think, especially in this Big Twelve, has the potential to be thirdish somewhere in that ballpark. I just, man, that's that's everything going right. Yeah, I agree. That would mean Cornelius being, you know. I don't know about uh, whatever percentage of Rudolph you want to call him. He would have to be pretty good. He would have to be pretty versatile. Um, the offense would have to pick up rolling right away. The defense would have to, you know, suddenly just start causing problems and get turnovers. and things. I think I – think, I, I just don't think this team is capable of winning the Big 12 this year. And I could be wrong. I just don't think they are. So, to me, I feel like the ceiling for them, if everything goes right, is third-ish somewhere in that ballpark. Um, that's why, honestly, where I had them, I had them around fifth. I think that's probably about where they end up, roughly, and they may go way better or way worse. I don't know, but I just feel like fifth for me is about where this team ends up.
0: Yeah, I th- I agree. I think I think the ceiling for the team is about nine wins, like Stephen mentioned. I I have them pegged probably around eight and four. I think I put them at fourth in the conference. So, well, I mean, we're in the same ballpark. I think everything does have to break right, and you're obviously you're breaking in a new defense, you're breaking in a a new quarterback, so. I can see him taking a bit of a step back, but I don't think it's going to be – I guess what I caution people about is this isn't the 2014 Oklahoma State team where they're going to be struggling to make a bowl. The only downside is that the way that this schedule is set up, you could realistically see this team open up seven and zero, and then go one and four down the stretch. So yep. it could be a rough finish to the year.
2: And that's what I was talking about a couple while ago. Is I just I feel like if there if there is a positive to this, you have to feel like it is that the fact that they could they do have a schedule that allows them the chance to kind of fill each other out. So, right. um, you know, the Boise State game. I don't know. I think it could tell us a lot. But again, I honestly feel like Oklahoma State from the time they play that game till late November is going to be a quite a bit different team. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I'm not sure how much it tells us in the long run for the team. It may in that short snapshot of the first five or six games of the season tell us a lot, but by the the team that they're going to finish with, I just don't know that it quite tells us a whole lot. I don't, I don't know. Uh,
0: I'm i do not know. as
2: high on Boise as some people are. But.
0: Well, I would tell you uh, what I would take more from the Boise game instead of as a team as a whole, I think that gives you a better idea of where Cornelius actually is because that's going to be really the – probably the first decent to good defense that he's going to face. So mm-hmm. you'll figure out a lot about him in that game, more so than maybe the whole team as a, the team as a whole.
2: Definitely. All right. Anything else you want to add to this thing?
0: We didn't give our Oklahoma.
2: Oh, uh, I mean, I, it's hard for me <laughs> and, and tell somebody knocks them off at this point. It's hard for me. I, could they stumble? Certainly. Uh, if the quarterback plays in their form, I think that's the most important thing. I, I feel like what's there is good enough to win the league, even with this defense and the questions around it. But again they're just they're playing a different level than all the other teams are right now and if it ever comes to the point where they're not i'll be the first to admit it but right now they're just they're they're playing with a better stack of cards than everybody else so it's going to mean everybody else coming to their level and i just i don't know that that's gonna i don't see that happening with this group this year uh if tcu had a great quarterback that you know again the kids good could be really good i'm not as high on him as some people are but could be really good but if they had an established quarterback yes tcu would be scary i think but I, they just don't. There's too many questions with other teams right now. And I don't trust West Virginia further than I can throw them.
0: <laughs> well, let, let me ask you this because I agree. I, I had I had them picked as a preseason Big 12 champions as well. So uh, I'm, I'm with you there. Do you think that this team is a playoff contender? Or do you think it's more like Jay said, that you're probably looking more like a, a New Year's Six Bowl team?
2: If this team, I think it, it's kind of like I said with Oklahoma State. If everything was to go right for this team, if they were to be, you know, pretty good at turnovers and Murray was pretty solid and all that, yeah, I think they could get in the playoff. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, if you if you have one loss and you want a power five, you're probably in. I mean, it's hard not to be you know, There's obviously clearly cases where that won't happen. I think, but right now, you know, outside of Washington, is the Pac-12 very good?
0: No, I so, agree. I mean, what's, I that good. how
2: can we downgrade the Big 12 any more than them at this point? I don't yeah. know. You know, um, so I don't necessarily think the Big 12 is going to be the reason they don't get in. I, now, obviously, if they lose two games, they're done. And that's very possible this year. Very possible. But see, uh, I actually
0: have a losing two games. And, I and they
2: definitely could. I, like I said, everything to me, everything's got to go right for them to be a playoff team. And I don't and I, right now, I just don't. It, to me, it hangs a lot on that quarterback situation that I just can't answer. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what they are there yet.
0: Well, that seems like every Big 12 team this year <laughs> outside yeah. of, what, Baylor and um, West Virginia. Well, and, and
2: even with Baylor, I, you know, yes, we saw some good things out of him, but I want to see a lot more before I'm just ready to say he's there. I mean, yeah. he, he's pretty – he showed me a lot. Well, but I'm just I trying to think of teams that
0: return. I guess Kansas State returning a good Iowa quarterback. State. So Yeah. yeah so, so, there's some teams, but there's a lot of question marks at the quarterback position as a whole this year.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I think that's about it for our Bedlam
0: yeah. uh, preview
2: uh we enjoyed it well, i hope you guys did those of you stick again stuck around the whole time we really appreciate it if you didn't again it's not the end of the world thanks for listening anyway um we'll be back what was that
0: uh wednesday Was it wednesday oh no, no we're coming day? back sunday
2: no well we won't be back with a show oh yes we will be back with a show sunday <laughs> god damn we got so many shows going on yeah we'll be back with a show sunday i can't really say much else yet but we'll tell you throughout the weekend what's going on with that um and uh it'll be a big guest uh, an, you know another really large guest so, unlike we've had so um let's see and then we'll be back wednesday with the preview series or first week one previews yep. i guess so yeah we'll start those back up if you've been with us in the past every wednesday and sunday-ish monday-ish somewhere in apple park we'll do a preview and, we, and review from the prior weekend so uh, if that's it, I guess we'll see you guys for well, oh the show Sunday. I will say this: it's going to be kind of a trip around the Power Five, looking at all the 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 champions and and our playoff options. We're going to give our playoff contenders and Heisman who we think is going to win the Heisman, that kind of stuff.
0: One one last thing, also guys, uh, if you can, be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes and all the different platforms you listen to, Google Play. Leave comments. You know, even if if you're you're listening to the show on a thing that doesn't allow you to rate it. Give us some constructive feedback. You you don't hear something you no, hear something DMs. you don't like. Yeah. I don't care. You hear something you don't like, let us know. You hear something you do like, let us know. Just give us some feedback, one way or the other.
2: Yeah, we need to know we're doing it right. And I guess if we're not hearing from you, that's not the end of the world, but you know. Uh, there's been a few fans in the recent years step up and really voice their opinion and I wish more of them would do it. So let us know what you think. Um, I guess that that's it. Until next time guys, we'll see you here in a few days.
0: Yep, see you guys.